Big Weekend Gaming, a podcast that dives into gaming news, analysis, and reviews. If you'd like to help contribute to the growth of this podcast and community, please leave us a five-star review, as it helps people find us. With that said, let's get on with the show. Shut up! Big Week's on the radio! Shut up! It's Gaming Podcast Audio! Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been a big week in gaming. I'm Intergot and he's Swinney for episode 4 on Sunday the 9th of August 2020. In this week's show, we'll be discussing the PlayStation State of Play, the release date for xCloud, Analog Pocket, pre-orders have sold out, and we'll discuss our pick and debate for the game of the some other year. Swinney, first I just want to start off with a correction. Last week I mentioned that Grounded is available... Only on Xbox Game Pass, not on PC, just the Xbox version. I was wrong. It's listed twice on the store. I blame Microsoft. But I thought I would point out the correction. How, how have you been going and how's your week been? What have you been playing? What What do you mean? Something Xbox related is not very clear to understand? <laughs> I swear, when I searched for it, it did not come up. And then when I searched it again, it was like, oh, okay, it is, is actually listed. So, uh you know, but you just admit when you're wrong and you move on. That's all good. And look, as someone that's very integrated into the Microsoft ecosystem in regards to PC, obviously Xbox console, I even had a Windows phone for years. Um, I would never defend um, Microsoft's approach to many of many of their, I guess, design choices. And, uh, you know, the Xbox website itself is very clunky. Um, mm. It's... And, just when you then obviously start to go into the naming conventions and uh, this is available on, you know, as an achievement hunter, this is available on Game Pass PC, but it doesn't have achievements. So it doesn't show up this way or that way. And it's like, uh, oh, just make is, it clear. Is that a thing? So there's like some of the games that are on Game Pass PC that will pop unique achievements and then others won't. Oh, yeah. Heaps of them, especially <laughs> around launch. Um, when they first launched Xbox Game Pass for PC, probably only about half the games actually had achievements. And it makes sense because a lot of the games on Windows Store don't have achievements. And suddenly, if you only limit it to those that do, it's it's really limiting what people what's available next on Game Pass. So it, it's a smart choice. But what you actually saw after that is a lot of the publishers going in and, and patching in achievements, which is really good. Um, but a lot of people don't care about them. So they care about, you know, oh, I'm paying money. What games do I have to play? You know, if you care about achievements and you say, well, you know, you're meant to be playing games for fun, you know, so you should be playing the games regardless. So. <laughs> and, you know, when we talk about this, I always reflect when I got an Xbox 360. I think I got a 360 before you, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and, 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 we'll, and, you, we'll... and we were wanting <laughs> to play co-op and you bought me a controller to use and it was pink. <laughs> and then like he's he's your controller the 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 pink one <laughs> that is funny you have to admit that that's funny <laughs> oh and i have nothing wrong with the color pink like i'm i'm all for colors not being you know associated you know with any kind of personality or physical traits or whatever but it was like oh, i see what you're doing dude you give me the yeah. pink controller and i went out of my way to find a pink one as well <laughs> 
And then um, the thing that I wanted to point out was the bit about uh, achievements, actually. Because I was, you know, achievements were popping and I'd never known what it was. This was like pre-achievement era for me. And I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. This is kind of cool. <laughs> and do you remember what your comments were? <laughs> oh, you, you've never brought this up before. <laughs> uh, I... I thought that were a bit ridiculous. I thought to myself, <laughs> what's the point? You know, like, it doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, you should care about, you know, like, playing the game and everything. And then when I got my own 360 and then started unlocking them, it's, they're addicting. And I think a lot it of people addictive. got addicted. I think a lot of people got addicted at the start and then grew out of them. And I'm not one of them. And, and just, just for context for everyone, what, what, what is your gamer score now? Oh God! You put me on the on the spot. Oh, ballpark, I ballpark. Because I don't actually know the. I, I don't care about my actual score anymore. Um, it's four hundred thirty-eight thousand, I think. <laughs> yeah, four hundred thirty-eight thousand. So awesome. I actually don't. I don't pay attention to that anymore because we talked about on. I, think, I can't remember if it was last. I think it was last oh, week. Yeah, what, wait, was the Epic Game Store? Is that there are so many games out there now that you can just you basically buying for achievements if you want them um, because you can unlock a thousand points within, you know, an hour. And if you remember on the Xbox Live Arcade games, some of those short games only used to give you like 200 points. Now Ooh. every game is a thousand. So it's just artificially inflated everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how many of those games are available to buy, like both on PlayStation Store and then on um, Xbox as well. Like, it's not like a couple, there's like seemingly hundreds of games like that. Yeah, there's a publisher, um, I think it's called Ratalika or something like that. And every time they put out games, the the people that like care about buying these games for these achievements are just like rubbing their hands together because they put out multiple games a month. They're all super easy. Uh, they're all priced relatively cheap, um, but they add up. And it's mm. also the same with the uh, SNK uh, games that they you know released and they've put out hundreds of them now so they put out uh, like a hundred on xbox and then they put out uh, a, close to 100 on the windows store as well the same games and they have separate lists so if someone wanted to you can beat some of those in half an hour and oh really a thousand oh yeah and so it's kind of known weird... in the community that you can do that it is, but the really annoying part about that is a lot of those SNK games are fantastic games, but people mm. treat them as trash now because they just think they're achievement fodder. And they're like, <laughs> well, oh, another SNK trash. But what people don't realize, those SNK games, if you wanted to buy them at home, they used to, those carts, oh, like yeah. we, we couldn't get them in Australia unless you imported them, but they were like hundreds of dollars yeah. just for one game. It was crazy. Because it was the first now, time you had like one-for-one one arcade games at home. Exactly. And people like, oh, it's five dollar trash now. It's like man, like if you <laughs> well, care about that game, that's awesome that you can purchase those games, you know. And obviously you've been able to emulate them for a while, but now you you've got legitimate means to actually purchase them if you want them. Yeah, and you and you can buy them on Switch as well. And obviously Nintendo has mm. never had achievements in its games. And to be fair, you know, because PC Steam, the achievements, they're just so out of whack. It just like to me they're really meaningless. I don't really pay attention to them. But I mean, I, I feel like if Nintendo did achievements, that'd probably make me go back and play a lot of games that I have already 100%ed, like Breath of the Wild and things like that. Because, um, you know, I, I get the appeal. I thought for a while that, you know, they had something similar. I think you could unlock stickers for the, um, 
for the was it the Meverse and things like that by playing yes, the game. Yeah, I and like it was that really... approach where you're kind of getting something kind of tangible for for playing. Let's say Nintendo published titles that would be really neat. Yeah, and it was really well integrated. I remember with uh, Super Mario 3D World. Um, so it'd be really interesting if they do. It seems inevitable, and you know, calling out to a segment a little bit later it seems inevitable. They will get bring that game over in some form or fashion. Um, mm. So it'd be interesting to see what they do around the stamp system because it was actually kind of integrated in the game and then also into the the Miiverse equivalent. So, but but just speaking about games, maybe let's transition into our headline news uh, around the PlayStation State of Play. So PlayStation earlier this week released a state of play. So very similar to a Nintendo Direct. Uh, this one went for around 40-ish minutes. Um, and then probably just to pre- premise everything, it was a real blend of, you know, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, PlayStation VR. And it was kind of flipping back and forth between them. And then from a release date perspective, it was stuff that was releasing really soon. Some stuff that didn't even have a necessary date on it, just said 2021. Um, and from that perspective, I found it to be very like all over the place. And th- these were no, um, PlayStation studio games. These are all third party games. Uh, yeah. I felt it was very clunky, but it didn't really seem to land clunky for people in-, in terms of, I didn't really hear much about it, to be honest, from when it, when it went live, like it wasn't one of those ones where it felt like a whole stream of news came off the back of it. What, what were your overall impressions of it before we jump into some of the detail? So I didn't get the clunky feel from it because this is how this these are the kind of I guess mix of games that they are as normally shown in these kind of events um, throughout mm. the normal generation. Um, now, obviously, with us moving from PlayStation Four to PlayStation Five, you're going to have you know a bit of a mix up there. But if you think back to Nintendo Directs when they had the 3DS as well as the um, the Wii U, um, you know. They would they would do this all the time, mix of both games on both platforms, games that were they were just announcing games that were coming, you know, next month. So I'm kind of used to it. It's only recently that I think a lot of these um, presentations have been super focused on very specific. We're only talking about next year. We're only talking about games. We're not talking about hardware kind of stuff because usually, especially E3 um, traditional conferences. They they do everything, you know. Mm. With Microsoft, they when they announced Gears Five, they announced Gears Tactics and Gears Pop at the same time. So you had a mobile game, a PC game, an Xbox game, all coming out in different timelines, you know. And that was mixed in with all the other stuff they're presenting. So I'm used to it, um, and I I kind of like the mix. It, it gives gives you a lot to kind of talk about. Yeah, fair enough. And I, I guess one thing I'll I'll kind of disagree about is just. I think there's an expectation and maybe it's unfair and maybe people need to be educated around it. And, you know, I think I'll purpose this as well with, you know, PlayStation and Xbox, they're following different strategies. But for me, when I see a game and it's coming in 2021 and it at the end of it literally says PlayStation 4, I'm like, well, wait, is that going to be playable on PlayStation 5? Or is that a PlayStation 4 exclusive game? And then maybe it will get remastered for PlayStation 5. Whereas, you know, as much as I criticized Xbox and Microsoft, because it was a bit like unclear at times whether games would both be released on the Series X or the One, like you kind of know overall if it's playable on the One, it will be playable on the Series X. Maybe it's not optimized for it just yet. Whereas PlayStation, I know that they have even senior leadership have said that they believe in generations. 
So I kind of take some of these games as they're not coming out on PlayStation 5 necessarily anytime soon. Yeah, I. it's tricky for me because I the way I look at it is if you're interested in any of the games that they've shown, and look, I'm... I feel that I'm very open to, you know, a lot of genres and a lot of games, but it's definitely once, you know, we start talking about a sports game or a sim driving game, I'll kind of, you know, be like, no, it's not for me. But if you're interested in the game, it's pretty hard, uh, it's pretty easy to quickly find out what about, what platforms can be available on. And mm. the thing with these these generations is that, you know, people be playing and buying games on the PS4 for 12 months you know, consistently after the PS5 is released. So, and we know a lot of these games are just going to get ported to the next platform anyway. So, for instance, to get a bit of ahead of us, it looks like, you know, The Pedestrian, right, which was a game that we knew about, but, um, you know, they've shown that uh, that was in state of play. So that's PS4, but it's for January 2021. So Mm. assuming, you know, that's after the launch of the PS5. That, That game's probably going to get ported to PS5, but they just obviously didn't want to announce it yet for whatever reason and yeah i i think it's you know it's a great time to to be into games you know there's so many games you know that are on the horizon and also just our backlogs are just we've all got huge game backlogs at this point i think it's you know people just need to lighten up a bit honestly (laughs) no i agree i agree with that and you know the one thing i i wonder is from a Sony perspective, if they are actually telling these developers do not refer to the PlayStation 5 because they want to create a clear delineation between the way the game looks as well. So then for most people, when they look at it, they go, oh, wow, this is a PS5 game. It looks amazing versus this game's a PS4 game. Maybe they haven't optimized it yet for the PS5. So they don't want to allow those things to look sort of like interchangeable because they want to try to drive a wedge in between the generation. I mean, they kind of have said this, but maybe this is the manifestation of the strategy of, of what they're doing from that space. Uh, possibly. I think obviously some of the games on here that are only said they're PS5, um, like Bug Snacks, and we'll go through the list, I think. But yeah, some of these games are not games that are, showcase games <laughs> games that could run on any any current gen oh, platform yeah. um but i guess in that particular example it's it's not announced for ps4 so it's like mm. well they have to say it's ps5 so anyway let's so, let's so, actually yeah, let's, i think we should go through them yeah and maybe let's tag team so and we'll go chronological so i'll, I'll just kick off with uh it opened with crash 4 uh, one thing I really liked about the presentation in general is really heavy on gameplay. This is what the mm. games look like. This is how they play a little bit sometimes around the mechanics. Crash 4, like Crash in general for me, never been interested in that that uh, series at all. Like, and I played it a few times. I'd actually really love to get into uh, Crash Team Racing. I reckon I'd really love that game. Uh, but Crash itself as a platformer, just for whatever reason, just doesn't appeal to me, the style of it. And I did think it was funny... Like this terminology, I'd never heard of it before, MTX, microtransactions, that it's like a selling feature that the game has no microtransactions, which I think is pretty rough. Yeah, they had to do it for Crash, though, um, because the the remake collection and Crash Team Racing both had a lot of PR problems around their microtransactions, so I think they want to get ahead of it this time. And well, but they, then, they wanted to talk about the costumes and immediately mm. that's going to put red flags in people's head. So, 
Well, but then how how do I know if they're not going to just introduce it post-launch, like with what they did with Crash Team Racing? Yeah, but they didn't go out of their way to say this stuff up front with Crash Team Racing in a big PlayStation presentation. True, so, true. Yeah. yeah. But with, so, with Crash, I'm, I'm a... I love the first three games. They're brilliant. I haven't, I've, I briefly played some of the, you know, probably the PS, PS3, Xbox 360 era games. They're not that crash hot, so to speak, but uh, <laughs> it's this, this game looks awesome. Um, it, it's to me a p- perfect way to handle a sequel for, you know, for a game like this. It's, it's almost similar to, how Mega Man 9 and 10 kind of, you know, handled being a sequel really well to the, you know, paying homage, but also, mm. you know, introducing a lot of new elements. It looks fantastic. Um, looking forward to actually trying it out. Yeah, it looks great. And I think it, it's coming at a really good time. So it's coming out on the 2nd of October, 2020. So I, I think everyone's kind of viewing the next gen will launch anywhere from mid-October to mid November, probably before Black Friday sales, even though they probably won't happen in person, but just from a market perspective, that's kind of how it rolls. So I think that's a great time to release actually before the PlayStation 5 comes out. It's like one of the last big games coming out on the PlayStation 4 and I'm sure it will get released on the PlayStation 5 as well. And one thing I want to make note about this is there are a bunch of games in the state of play that are also coming to PC and Xbox as well. So some of that, um, you know, and Switch, yeah. So uh, Crash 4 is an example there um, where that's... Uh, I'm not sure Crash 4 is coming to Switch, but um, that's, yeah, that makes sense because it's, you know, it's an Activision title. So, mm. so Hitman 3, do you want to cover this? Yeah, so I I love the the old Hitman games. Um, they've, I've spent a lot of time playing Hitman 2 specifically. Um, I haven't played any of the Ace Remake ones, but they're very well regarded. Um, and I've watched... They're, they're really fun games to watch other people play in Let's Plays and, and streaming and that. So the great thing about this... So Hitman 3 has obviously been known for a while, um, but they announced that it's going to have PSVR mode. And mm. they're also... Um, they're introducing VR to the first two games as well. So all three games will actually have VR components now. So that that's actually pretty huge. And it looks great. Um, anyone that loves those games is probably going to be very happy with Hitman uh, 3. IO Interactive are a great developer. And it's really interesting the journey that that developer's taken, bouncing around different publishers and um, and now being uh, completely independent. So. Mm. And it's releasing uh, Jan 2021. So yeah, like Hitman, I've played a little bit of it. I, I think it's one of those games... If I got into it a little bit, I'd be hooked on it because I love that kind of... It's almost like a puzzle game mm, um, and strategy definitely. game. So any game like that just always appeals to me. So I think if I can pick it up somewhere for cheap or... Is it is it a part of Game Pass? Question uh, I, I think the... I think... From one, time to time, maybe it comes I, on and off, right? I think the first remake game, Hitman, may have been at one point. But mm. yeah, I'm not sure now, so... I feel like that's just such a perfect game for that kind of service, where it's just like you just jump in and start playing it a bit. Um, well, and I know there's a lot uh, of big fans of the series. Well, that game was a live service game to begin with, an episodic game that released in, you know... So, that, that mm. if anything, that that game, while it might have not been the most financially successful um, usage of like you know, episodic gaming, proved that... That did have a place, and we've now moved on from things being, you know, 
episodic to live service pretty much but um yeah that was that was really risky but it was a good move because it was a great game Mm. speaking of great games raid anniversary edition so braid originally came out um as part of like a really great initiative with xbox they had uh summer of gaming and do you remember the exact title of it it was basically like a whole host of indie games were coming out in that era around 2008 you had like super meat boy raid Mm. a whole bunch of games like it was almost for me still i think it was probably the high watermark of indie gaming um shadow complex i have to mention that because one of my favorite games of that era uh and this game looks unreal like they've actually hand painted and created like a hand animation of of the graphics so the graphics are already have got like almost a painted style um very very um stylistic in terms of its presentation but it just looks unreal the way they've uh, remastered it. And then what I also love about it is it feels like, I don't know if you got this vibe, but it felt like Jonathan Blow, who is the developer and the main guy behind Braid, and um, what's his other game? Journey? Not Journey. Um, the Witness. The Witness, sorry. Um, they're doing like a special features of, of like embedded in the game. So to me, it really feels like, you know, there's really cool old school DVDs where they have like deep, special features on it and it was really like selling point of dvds at the time it feels like he's doing that for games which i like i love when remastered collections do that kind of stuff and show well, that kind of love um uh, without I, i'm not going to spoil anything about the witness but you can see some of that in that game as well um, oh, but with, interesting. with with braid uh, i don't i don't want to kind of you know it's different to this let me just put it that way but with um with this do we know that Jonathan Blow is actually involved? You yeah, assume he was, that he... He was so talking he was t- in the presentation, so I'm not sure if his hands are literally on, uh, you know, creating it, um, but he was one of the voices okay, speaking I didn't, to this game. I was fairly certain. I'm like, I, I remember his voice and I couldn't tell it, so I, that's good to know because... The, there were two voices. Anyone, I don't know who the other person was, but I recognise one of them as Jonathan Blow for sure. If you're going to have any commentary, it needs to be Jonathan Blow doing the commentary because he was the he was the face of that game. He was the guy behind that game. So that's awesome if that's the case. So I just yeah. didn't know if we'd confirm that. And, and you know, like, and I'm going to say this in the try to say this in the correct way. He's a very opinionated guy, and he's very polarizing. I love him. Like, I think he's a really interesting person, and, and I think creative people are great people, and sometimes they're a bit odd. Um, so yeah, he's an odd guy in that way, but in a great way. Um, so yeah, he's actually confirmed that he's actually working on it, um, oh, with David Hellman. So I'm, I'm imagining David Hellman is the other person who was speaking in, um, the presentation. So I think this is just like a must get for me. It's coming out on the switch, Xbox one, you know, it's pretty much coming out on everything, PS4, PS5, PC, everything, um, and- in early 2021. Um, I, I do have the original. But I got maybe halfway through it and then just other things in my life took over and I really wanted to finish it. So I think having it on the Switch personally will be probably where I want to play it just because it's portable. Well, what's interesting is uh, I noticed in the there was an option for speedrun as part of like the commentary options. Oh, I and I'm really that. interested in that because that's one of the things that I struggle with trying to complete that game, you know, and was actually the speedrun achievement. So it'd be cool if it actually has tips and tricks in commentary form about how to do certain things. But one thing I'll say to anyone that hasn't played Braid is obviously, you know, it's very critically claimed. It, it deserves that that attention. But go into it 
knowing as little as possible because yes, it, yes. it will blow your mind in certain uh, in certain regards. And, and I think that's like the case. I think it's probably going to be going forward for all of his games. Like he's very mindful of his audience and him as a creator. And the other thing I'll just say before we move on to the next game in the showcase is he's actually confirmed that it won't get the quote-unquote Greedo shoots first treatment <laughs> and that it's only like a look and feel modernization, um, not not actually changing the mechanics or any parts of the game or making it easier or harder or anything. So, yeah, this is, this is one to keep an eye out and seems like it's coming out pretty early in 2021, which is cool. Pathless. Yes, so Pathless is really, really cool looking. I, I don't know, like you've noted it as a mythic adventure game. Is that what they said in in the presentation? <laughs> yeah, it's because I, I put it in quotes because I was like, "What is a mythic adventure game?" I it's really cool. I you know it's 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 definitely an action adventure game in in regards to you know being an open world. But just the way that you traverse around just looks really cool. Like you're basically using a bow and arrow to hit these targets that give you like a slide dash and you can essentially, um, you know, just dash around the world like that. And then you've got this really cool owl that you can, uh, not an owl, sorry, an eagle that you can like fly with as well. But mm. it's... Yeah, you know what? It kind of reminded me of, and this is a weird reference, but Mirror's Edge in terms of the movement. Oh like yeah, it I can really see that. like dynamic and just it looked really fast. And I, I, you know, I reckon that kind of game, man, you got to get the the game feel right because mm. when you you have a game moving that fast, if it's not on point, it's just so unplayable. And I'm sure that like that's one of the number one things that they've tried to tune that game for. I, I will say the the playable character was getting a little bit friendly with the eagle. They spent a bit long on that shot, and I'm like, <laughs> this is getting a little uncomfortable, but. It's it's really cool. It showed it showed these um, you know neat puzzles, which are very Zelda-ish in some ways, um, mm. which which was cool. And I was kind of I was thinking this this looks neat. Um, you know, it it seems like it's a PS5. Uh, it I don't know if it's on coming to PC or not, but it's you know it's only on PS5, I believe, uh, not Xbox or Switch. And it's I was kind of like oh, on the fence. Hey, it looks cool. Maybe you know it's 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 kind of like one of the the games that you know you can you don't mind missing if you know what I mean. And then yeah. I and then I uh, found out it's from the developers behind Abzu, which I loved, and oh, I can hundred percent see it now in the visual style. Abzu is a very different game. That's like an, you're exploring these underwater locations that are just it's it's like a very relaxing uh, exploration game that's got a lot of mystery to it um very different style of game but the visual style i can see um where they've moved from that to this so now i'm actually really interested in it because that was a great game mm. no definitely and, and um moving to a game that i'm really really interested in playing uh splunky 2 so the sequel to splunky i don't know the official title because it there's Literally, I think it was pretty much announced in in the showcase. Um, so people really just have Splunky 2 in quotes because that's what they referred to it as. Um, and yeah, it just seems like the, it's more Splunky, but responding to a lot of the community feedback about what they loved about Splunky 1 uh, and then sort of trying to add some new stuff in to make it more interesting. 
and just even like Splunky itself went through a lot of revisions. I know the first game was made uh, with Game Maker Engine, and then they remade the game, so it was almost like Splunky 1.5. So I think it's called Splunky Classic and then Splunky from memory. Um, but this is this is a game that has a massive cult following. And when I say cult following, I mean in the sense that, yes, it is a super popular game. Um, but yeah, there's some people who are really deep on this game. I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, are you, have you played this much, Splunky? So just want to correct that. Splunky 2 was actually announced in 2017. <laughs> so but this is not a 2? new announcement. Yes. Or they just said that they're working on the sequel. Uh, it's been known as Spelunky 2 for years, so I don't oh, okay. think there's any confusion with that at all. Okay. But okay. this, what was announced, this, no one knew a release date. We knew that thing yeah. had been pushed back. Yes. So that, that was, um, big news from this. And yeah, so Spelunky is a, it has a huge fan base. I've, I've given it a shot a few times. I think it's a game where you have to, you have to spend a little bit more time with it to start clicking you have to get through you know a few runs i'm not yeah. i'm not a big roguelike um fan in a lot of ways i, I like very crafted worlds but i very much uh, understand the appeal of spelunky um i it's i've seen i've watched a lot of um you know game design breakdowns about how well it's designed and and a lot of the i guess the what's the term for it um when you know storyline it's basically you're telling the story through um emergent emergent narrative emergent gameplay mm. you know random things are happening like people can have different stories to tell that are unique to them because they're the only person that went through that certain circumstances with the game um i i would be more interested in it if i'd actually um, got into spiky one but i think it's it's great to finally have a release date for the fans yeah, and you, you know, I feel like we're opening a whole can of worms uh, with this whole conversation about rogue lights and rogue likes, um, like L I K E versus L I T E, and you know, obviously the original game uh, Rogue on PC, where procedural generated game, they've, you know, I I find that they're super hit and miss. Um, Enter the Gungeon, I love that game so much. Like, love it, love it, love it. I, I I am probably more of a, on the side of the fence of, you know, you sort of gain more the more you play. And I, I can't remember, but I think it's referred to as rogue light, where it's sort of, you know, there are things that carry over between the runs, but there's still like that idea of permadeath and, you know, that sort of procedurally generated run each time. And from memory, I think rogue light, like, is more where it's, you know, you start from the start fresh each time. Um, but I think you're right. Like overall, like either the game clicks and you need to give it a bit of, bit of a go to actually see if it does click. Um, and yeah, like they, these games can be super, super addictive because obviously it's the same gameplay loop every time. Um, and then new things are thrown at you each time. So I just find that these kind of games like Dead Cells and Slay the Spire, Splunky, Enter the Gungeon... Like some people, when you look at it on their Steam accounts, they have thousands of hours on these games, which mm. is, uh, I just think is super awesome. And yeah, so it's coming out on the 15th of September in 2020. So it's just around the corner. So I imagine that community is super pumped for it. Definitely. And going to uh, another game that, so the next one up in the lineup, uh, another notable game, let's say, <laughs> but maybe for very different reason, reasons, uh, Genshin Impact. Now, like, for me, really all I know about this game is that people consider it a bit of a 
copy slash clone of Breath of the Wild, which I'd imagine is grossly unfair. Um, but do, do you know much about this game beyond that? So, like a lot of these games, this is a game that's was been announced for a while and we've seen footage for a while. It's I'm not sure it may have even had a beta at some point. Um, I honestly, this game looks fantastic. And yeah, it does. I'm not going to let, let's not get into my thoughts about Breath of the Wild in this particular uh, topic. <laughs> You'll um, save that. <laughs> don't don't let my um, my reservations about Breath of the Wild as a Zelda game get in the way of the fact that this game looks great, even though it looks like they've essentially <laughs> stolen so many of the <laughs> elements of Breath of the Wild and have just added more anime to it. Yeah, yeah, it's even heavier anime because Breath of the Wild is an anime style, but not heavy anime style. This is like real heavy anime style. Yeah, and, but it looks good. Um, I'm, this is actually, it's, I think this is coming to Xbox One as well, so I'm super pumped to play this because it, yeah, I, honestly, it's 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 going to be funny if I actually enjoy this more than Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I, well, like, yeah, let, let's let's save that topic for another podcast. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the other one is, this is the notable one where uh, the guy smashed his PlayStation 4 in front of the developers, I believe, or, like, on a video um, when, when gameplay footage of this came out. It was just bizarre, like, people's reaction. And I think it's so weird. Like, personally, yes, I do think it's... They've literally just tried to copy elements of Breath of the Wild and build on it. But it's like, it's not, it's not copying to a point where it's stolen, you know, like ultimately you can't copyright uh, or trademark gameplay elements like this. And in visual style, it's not close enough that you can really actually, you know, sue them or do anything like that. It's not trying to come across as Zelda, like in the marketing or anything like that as well. So, but it's just one of those games I would not play. It's coming out uh, in the third quarter of this year. So just around the corner. You you will not play. It nah. looks great. Nah, it's, it's, it just doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't grab me. And and okay. speaking of games that don't grab me, hey, on go on, go on. What are you I was gonna gonna, say? Hey, you you got in the way. I was going to segue talking okay, about stolen. <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> hey, on must die. Um, which honestly, this game looks really cool. It looks it looks like it plays like kind of trash in a way but mm. it's yeah it's like a what looks like kind of like a side scroller beat em up with this super like techno futuristic um vibe to it which is very similar to the next game as well but then we heard about that this game is going through a lot of woes with its uh developers apparently uh have you know, I don't know the full story behind it, so I don't want to talk to it too much. But um, it seems like it was a bad idea to include this in the showcase. Although Sony probably had no idea this stuff was going on. Yeah, it's a really weird one. I mean, like all the all the chat about this game wasn't about the trailer or this game. It was about the creation of this game and the title and the gameplay and whether it was stolen or not. Yeah, I don't know enough about it. Like, I've read a little bit about it, but it's one of those ones where, personally, I feel like a lot of people misunderstand the way the law works. So, you know, if I go in and pitch an idea and, you know, that studio goes off and makes its own game based on that idea, that's not breaching anything. Now, is it breaching moral codes? Is it breaching, you know, fairness? Of course. But 
you know, there's a huge difference between is something legal or illegal. And I sort of read through parts of it and it's like, you know, sort of saying that it's stolen from limestone games and sort of reading the logic of what they're saying. I'm like, I don't know if it really checks out. And there's just not enough detail to really be able to, um, to know whether it's true or not, or what these people are accusing. But I, I totally agree. If they'd known about this, they definitely shouldn't have added it to the showcase because it really did become detrimental to the showcase itself. Um, and then just, you know, like for me, the graphic looks amazing. Like it looked really crazy. It's just that kind of style just didn't click with me personally. Like that beat em up crazy sci-fi mm. style. It looked really cool, but it just, to me, did not look like the kind of game I wanted to play. Um, I'm, I'm the same. The The coolest part was when he was riding that giant neon motorbike and like dragging an enemy along the ground as he was doing it. But other than that, it kind of just looked like a Final Fight clone, but looked yeah. like there was a bit more one-on-one kind of battles in places. And mm. honestly, there's a lot of games out there like that these days. Um that it's weird i used to love those games as a kid but not so much these days i think i need a bit more of depth to a game but i'm saying that knowing nothing else about the game so i don't want to you know say the game has no depth it's just um yeah i'm the same it didn't immediately look like a game that i'd be super interested in playing yeah i used to play beat em ups when i was a kid as well and just it's just a genre that kind of i've fallen out of love with I, I don't know, like, and I feel like there's so many great old school beat em ups that I'd almost just go back and play them because mm. I don't want a long beat em up. I just want a one hour beat em up, like, or half an hour even. Like, that's actually the ideal length for me. Like the length of Double Dragon Two on the NES. I don't want something that's longer than that. Uh, and I feel like the modern ones they need to make them longer so people don't feel ripped off. But that's just not interesting to me. I mean, there's been and, good examples, the Scott Pilgrim game, Castle Crashes. Mm, yeah. So there's definitely games that carry on that legacy that are still really fun to play. But considering the amount of indie titles that we now see popping up on all the platforms, and obviously a lot of those coming from Steam as well, there's just so many out there now. And one thing I'll say is that I did hear that Streets of Rage 4 was very good. So yeah, anyone, I heard really good things about it. Yeah, yeah, so that I think that's you know there's still a place for those games. Oh yeah, definitely. And there's obviously a market for them. People are buying them. Streets of Rage Four, from what I've heard, sold pretty well. So, and and moving to probably another game that I feel like all these these games, especially the last three, they kind of blended in my mind. Like I had to really go back and look into them. So the next one up was um, Anno. How do you say this? Anno Mutationum. Is that right? Yeah, that's why I read it. It's a very mm. stupid title. Not the Anno part, but the mutation. It's like, mm. I don't think that does you any favours by making your name not only confusing to pr- pronounce, but also confusing to remember. Like, your people yes. are like, oh, what, what was that game where that, you know, pixelated girl was running through the cyberpunk world as, like, mutationum or something? You know, it's like, I think you can... There's a there's a game that came out a couple of years ago across most platforms that's very Blade Runner ish and, and that called Dex. To me, that's mm. a good title for like a sci fi game. Dex, you remember it. It's simple, short, not Anno Mutationum. And, and from the trailer, I wasn't even like I, the thing I took away from it is like okay, this is a real like cyberpunk style game. But I wasn't like, is it a platformer? I was kind of like almost unclear of what kind of game it was. 
Yeah, it looked like an action platformer that had a little bit of exploration. I actually thought it looked a little neat. Um, one mm. thing that I've read about the game, although this looking researching this game is a great example of of just seeing the amount of sites that just scrape the same information from the <laughs> same places because they yeah. all structure the the wording the exact same way about the fact that they're apparently integrating this game into the SCP um, universe, which is the the open source um, community. Um, I forget the term for it, but have, have you ever heard of SCP? I, I, I heard it, but I don't know what it means. So uh, it's something containment protocol. I don't know if it's secure, but it, basically it's... It's similar to Control. Controls was very uh, influenced by it as well, where it's people come up with all these stories, um, creepy pastors and things like that, and they they collect them all together, and then they they do have people that um, you know audit them, and then they say, okay, does this is this good enough to be included in the SCP kind of universe? Mm. And so apparently they're actually tying this game into that a little. So that's that's pretty cool. Oh, so it's this S- SCP Foundation. Yes. Interesting. That yeah, that's a whole is... rabbit hole that if anyone's ever looked at it like that, that stuff goes very deep. There's people that it's been going for a long time and anyone that's interested in, you know, really cool um stuff that, you know, written by very talented people, it's a it's a great thing to look into if you if you like that stuff. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's really that's really weird. So yeah, no, this game looks interesting. I'm yeah, I, I feel like it's a, those kind of games that needs a demo, like a mm. good vertical slice, and lets you play it and then see if you actually like it or not. Um, so yeah, it's coming out in December 2020 on PS4, and then the next up is Bug Snacks, which for me, I'm gonna say this is gonna be like the Knack Two for PS5. I wouldn't like, put that, say that at all, actually. Oh, really? This no. looks so unappealing to me. I'm like running a million miles away from this game. So are you looking forward to it? Or No, the reason I'm saying it's not that is because it's coming from the makers Octodad, which which was very well regarded and has... That's the reason why people are paying attention to this game. It's because it's coming from those people. Mm. I think the, this game, if it was coming from a new developer or... Someone that didn't have any credibility, I think you wouldn't you wouldn't pay attention to it as much. So I, mm. I think that I'm not going to say this world's going to this game's going to set the world on fire or anything. But I think this is a fantastic game for kids. Um, it's not the thing with Knack is Knack was trying to be this big showcase game that was you know showing off the the power of the PS. I think it was PS3, wasn't it? Knack one. Um, yeah. And this game isn't doing that. It's just it's. It's just a quirky game that's been made by an indie developer with a good record, and so I think people hating on this game for without knowing that is kind of yeah. Not to say you need to know the background, (laughs) not to say you need to know who the developers are. Doing a game, a game appeals to you, it doesn't. But Mm. I don't think this is a is a knack situation. It's just a quirky game. Fair enough, fair enough. No, nah, and look, like I am coming from a place of ignorance with this game. It just didn't appeal to me, and I just didn't want to invest time to really understand it more. Sorry, that's probably unfair. But um, we did see gameplay for the first time, so that's interestingly, it's it's very different than what people are expecting. It's like you're playing yeah. a journalist, and it's kind of like Pokemon Snap, but then you're like building up a community. It's really weird. But it's also like yeah, first person. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I thought I got like real Viva 
pinata vibes from it. And I do know that the developers have sort of said the game has got some inspiration from that, maybe from a visual perspective. Yeah, I can see that. I can also see Slime Rancher as well. Slime Rancher is pretty neat and it's first person Mm. and it's got some similar kind of quirky uh, laid back vibe to it. So. Mm. And on to uh, the final PSVR game that they showed off in the showcase that's actually just coming out in a couple of weeks, uh, Vader Immortal. So, like a PlayStation VR experience. Now, I thought originally this was more going to be like you are playing as Vader, but it seemed like from the gameplay footage it was lots of different characters. Is that is that your impression as well? I don't know if it's lots of different characters, but this, this game's been... Um... I guess, bubbling for a while now. They've mm. shown it off at, at least one E3, maybe more. Um, yeah, it looks cool, but it's a VR game, so it you know if it's going to appeal to you or not. Do you have the, the, do you have the capacity to play it or not? Because I certainly don't at the moment. I'd like to at some yeah. point, but it probably won't be PSVR that, that I'd get, so even that's limiting it even more. But for anyone that's got PSVR, it's great to have a, a, another title on the, on the way. Um, I think... PSVR has been a, a real success for them in many ways. I don't know financially, but in terms of, you know, they 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 went out there, they made a headset, and there's a bunch of great games for it. Yeah. So I'm even trying to look at this. So it seems like Vader Immortal has already come out on the Oculus store. And just to be clear, like I'm not very very close to anything VR because as with you, I don't have a VR set. So it's not something I really keep a close eye on. But yeah, it, it does seem like it might have already come out on um, PSVR. Uh, sorry, on Oculus Rift, potentially. All right, let's move on then. It's all Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> uh, and then the next up, a game that I'm super, super interested to play, and it's an expansion for it, Control. So did you did you play Control when it came out? I'm very glad you said that you're super interested in playing it because I'm also super interested in playing it. I didn't know if you knew much about Control, so yeah, I, I know I know a bit, and to me, it looks like the exact kind of game I'd get super into. I, it's very unfortunate that I know a lot more about Control than I'd like in terms of very specific moments. Yeah, yeah, and I've tried to keep away from spoilers. Uh, tr- I would, from what I've heard. I wish I didn't know. So, and this this expansion is fantastic um, because it finally introduces the stuff they're hinting at, which is um, tying it into the Alan Wake uh, universe. Mm. And people have been screaming out for Alan Wake, uh, a new Alan Wake title for ages. The first game was so well received, and the and the the standalone deal. I'm not sure if they're standalone DLCs, but um, I thought they may have been. But they the DLCs were also very well received. This, I think, is is great. It's great to tie together these two Remedy properties. It'd be interesting to see if they could, you know... They can't tie in Max Payne because that's... Uh, <laughs> wouldn't really fit in the Control universe and is also owned by <laughs> 2K or Rockstar at this point, <laughs> I imagine. But it's uh, it's really cool to, uh, yeah, to see these two properties come together. And Remedy's a fantastic developer, so... Mm. Yeah, so the expansion's out 27th of August... Uh, I think I'm just probably going to wait until Control is finished from a DLC perspective and then look to get like a complete version of it. And I'm sure it's going to be re-released on the PlayStation 5 and probably needs that little bump up in terms of performance and speed, or maybe even on PC, depending on what the sort of prices are. 
Well, I know it's uh, uh, it's one of the games that were showcased for what's the uh, ray tracing like RTX stuff. Mm. So when that game came out, it was uh, used as uh, I guess a bit of a benchmarking for a lot of those uh, a lot of you know people with their new graphics cards and stuff like that. Yeah, and it looks amazing. So moving on to Auto Chess, I don't have almost anything to say about this apart from. <laughs> I know that auto chess is a bit of a game and a genre now. There's like, you know what I mean by that? In terms of any game that plays like auto chess, people call it an auto chess game. And when I was watching this, I go, oh, this is like an auto chess. And then it was like, oh, wait, this is auto chess. Yeah. <laughs> like... it, I'm, I'm the same. I I definitely, when I whenever I look at this or Dota auto chess or mm. whatever the League of Legends one's called, uh, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, they're yeah. all super popular, but they all look like games that I just have no interest in playing whatsoever. <laughs> it's horrible because I know that they're really well made and a lot of people love them. So it's I just think that it's the same as if someone looked at, you know, some of the games I play and go, this is not appealing to me whatsoever. Um, uh, one thing else, one other thing I'll say about it is I do love this kind of historical trend of, mods for games becoming super popular and then the mod itself getting released as a standalone so obviously mm. dota is the huge one right uh coming from a warcraft 3 mod so this is the same this was you know uh this was a dota mod that have then they've... so it's it's a mod of a mod <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's a mod of a game that used to be a mod which is <laughs> is kind of weird at this point it's like getting in... this is inception um, suddenly you're going to start having mods of auto chess then being released as standalone titles in the future. Oh, well, yeah, the mod is Warcraft 4 or something like that. Yeah, it'll like <laughs> link it back to being a real-time strategy <laughs> game again. I mean, some of the biggest games available right now are old and they're also mods or like original mods, like Counter-Strike is still huge. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously like a mod from way back in the day. Um, so yeah, like I've no interest in this, but for people that do, it's coming out on the 31st of October, 2020. Now, moving to a game that I am interested in, The Pedestrian. How, how much do you know about this game? Because this, this looks visually just, like, insanely interesting. I This game looks great, but I was very disappointed when I found out it was a puzzle game, weirdly. Um, oh, really? <laughs> the, the, for, for, for a very strange reason. So, to set it up, <laughs> you're, you're this little, what looks like a stick figure moving around like things like construction signs and signs on buildings and and maneuvering around them and it looks awesome and the reason why i was disappointed to find out that it stops and you you can move panels connect them and solve puzzles is because i thought it was just going to be like a fast action platformer where you're running through the signs oh okay the reason i thought that is because as a kid one of my favorite things on long like trips in the car was to do i don't know obviously some other kids must have done this weird thing where i'd like put my hand against the window like it was like a little person running and i'd like jump along the terrain as the car's going past like it was a platformer Mm. and in my head that's i'm like this is like that game like just on science instead where you're like a stick figure moving across the world and i'm like man this is this is the idea i had as a kid and it's not like that. It's like, it's similar visually, but you actually stop and solve oh, puzzles and things. So that's why I was a little disappointed. But in saying that, that's just because of my weird expectation from being a kid. 
<laughs> yeah, I thought it looks cool. I mean, it's available already on Steam and Windows and Linux as well. Um, and it's, yeah, coming to PlayStation 4 in January 2021, which, you know, this was probably the one that I looked at and I was like, that's so weird that it's Jan 2021. Like, surely they could release it before then, but, you know, yeah. It seems like, you know, people like you don't mind that, so it's all good. But moving to an actual next-gen title, The Hood, Outlaws and Legends, PS5. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So it really, it really had, like, an Assassin's Creed vibe to it, for me personally. So... so- I don't what? know if you've noticed that I changed your notes about this because, and I think this is very telling about what this trailer was. So you wrote down Assassin's Creed, maybe open world or something. It's yeah. a multiplayer game. Really? A co-op yeah. game, right? So it's like one team and one team. And I think it's... Is what, it really? They're calling it PVPVE. So I don't know if the E is like enemies, <laughs> like... AI enemies, or I don't think it's environment. I think it's probably a case where you've got two teams of bandits, like Robin Hood-style bandits with, like, crossbows and hidden blades or whatever, right? And then you're mm. probably both trying to steal from the same people, and then you have, you're assassinating each other at the same time. That's my feeling of what that PVPVE, which is very awkward to say, means. It The trailer itself is was, eh, was okay, um, yeah. honestly. It it's cool. Any game that kind of has, you know, like a Robin Hood vibe is kind of cool. But yeah, I think it just goes to show that you'd written down, I guess, almost your expectation, almost like the pedestrian for me. Your expectation yeah. from seeing that uh, changed. So it's one thing I'll say about this is together with Braid Anniversary and I think Aeon Must Die, um, I think these were the only three new games announced. Uh, everything else was uh, updates to games we already knew about. So at least I had that going for it. It's an actual game that nobody knew about. Yeah, that's true. And it's also, you know, a lot of these games are released already. Or, like, not a lot, but there's uh, there's a few, quite a few that have already come out or available on other platforms. So hmm. there's been a bit of a mishmash, this one. Um, yeah, I, this game, like, obviously, I don't even know what this game is. And it just, the aesthetic and everything about it just looks... Very generic and just really unappealing, personally. Looking me. at looking at the list so far, I think this is the only game that didn't show gameplay. Actually, in the whole show, it didn't. It's the only game that didn't show gameplay. If it, if they'll snippets no, no, of they gameplay, gameplay. Oh, they, they did have gameplay. snippets. Oh, then I'm yeah, because they actually that. they made a real big point about saying that it's shown on an actual captured from an oh, actual okay. PS5. Well, good on which good I thought, on Sony, which is <laughs> good on Sony for getting gameplay for every game then. That, that's well, really not but I thought it was really funny in the sense of like it's almost a dig at Microsoft running you know a simulated Series X essentially on PC yeah. and that they they're kind of going no this is an actual PS5 <laughs> yeah. um and talking earlier about clone games here is the biggest clone game Temtem mm. it is the biggest clone game and man this game I remember when the whole kerfuffle about Temtem came out uh, at the start of the year and it blew up like it was a huge success. And mm. I think I think it's still maybe in early access on Steam. It's great to know this game is coming out to all the consoles. It the reason I like this game is that Nintendo have been so stuck in the past with the way they've treated Pokemon. And I say that as someone that has literally not played a Pokemon game since the first ones. But the in terms of the the way they treat online uh, with these games to to essentially being very dated in the visuals, 
Temtem to me is an example of what Nintendo could do with with those aspects. Oh yeah, no, I totally agree. I yeah, it really felt, um, and it kind of was right. It was a Kickstarter back in twenty eighteen. It really felt like a fan's version of what uh, Pokemon should be. Hmm. And obviously, they can't use anything related to Pokemon, so they just create their own IP. It, it looks amazing. Like, I don't want to say it looks bad. It looks, like, really cool. Just for me, it doesn't have any... Like, I have no attachment, obviously, to the characters. And by the way, I kind of feel like a bit like this with later Pokemon games, where they introduce new Pokemon, and I'm a bit like, ah, I didn't grow up with those Pokemon, or didn't have any sort of history with them, I guess. So it just kind of has always been a little less appealing than the first gen and second gen Pokemon, I guess. But um, I actually love this because I feel like this is going to help uh, shake up and challenge the Pokemon company to actually do more with the Pokemon franchise. So in a weird way, I actually hope this game becomes a massive success because I feel like that would have to spurn, uh, you know, the Pokemon company to actually go, geez, we might need to actually do something a bit better and a bit more with the Pokemon games, which aren't bad games. They just, they haven't needed to evolve that franchise. They pretty much release it and they get 15 million sales every time. It's just kind of ridiculous, to be honest. And then never going to change unless that starts to change. So, but yeah, no, really cool features. Really interesting. I actually wouldn't mind playing this game. And you're right. It's in early access right now and... It's coming to uh, most platforms. I'm not actually... I should have checked this beforehand. I'm not sure if it's coming out to um, cross-play or not. I'm not sure about that. But it's interesting it's coming to Switch because that's that has the potential to be a huge hit on the Switch. Yeah, true. True. Yeah, no, it's interesting, right, from Nintendo's perspective on it. But that kind of also shows you that they're probably looking at it and thinking, well, it's not breaching anything. It's, it's definitely... Mm very much copying the style of Pokemon. Like, it looks like Pokemon. It almost looks more like Pokemon than uh, Genshin Impact looked like Breath of the Wild for me, personally. The thing, though, is you've always... There's been a lot of Pokemon clones over the years, especially when Pokemon first came out. There was heaps of Game Boy and Game Boy Color Mm. games that were basically Pokemon with a different skin. And Nintendo couldn't come to anything about, you know, the gameplay design of that stuff. So it just took a while for a company in in the modern day to say, let's actually, let's do this, but make it more online, make it essentially like an MMO with, you know, with our own characters and everything and see how it goes. Yeah, no, fair enough. And then the final game of the showcase, Oh boy! and I think we've probably run longer than the showcase ran, um, is Godfall. Ah, this game, this game. (laughs) Well, what are your thoughts on this game? This this game should be the game of this whole thing that appeals to me. It mm. it looks pretty cool. It's I I love the design. You know, I'm a huge fan of Dark Siders games and Dark Souls, and it's essentially it looks like what two humans should have been. You know, there's so much right about this game for me, but they spent time on the most boring things to talk about about this game <laughs> it's essentially it's an action game that's they're calling a looter slasher which whatever right it's <laughs> oh, people, sorry. that's so cringy it's, and i get it, it but it's, it's cringy. the thing is it explains the game well right it's basically it's a loot game but it's kind of like warframe in a sense but you know so it's warframe, like destiny so, 2 but with swords right 
Yeah, Warframe's, I think, a better example there because that's what okay. Warframe is. Um, Warframe has guns, but it's very melee-based as well. But Warframe yeah. is a huge game now that has so much to it. Um, but then they talk about, okay, there's no microtransactions. And with the Crash example, I think it made sense because they need have had those issues before. With Godfall, it's like, yeah, we should assume there's none of this stuff until you, you know, say otherwise. <laughs> don't You don't get brownie points for for saying this on a brand new IP. But the problem I had with this is they spent so long, it's almost like the Smash Brothers E3 presentation when they spent half an hour talking about specific like characters' voice being different in different costumes. It was a ridiculous amount of detail, but I loved it because it was Smash Brothers. Other people hated it, and this, I think, is an example of them spending so long talking about how to parry in an action game. Like every action game has a block button and if you time it, it parries and then you can hit an enemy afterwards. You don't need to spend 20 seconds talking about a parry. I think it's one thing to show, oh, we've got these different types of, uh, you know, weapons and things, but they spent so long on the most boring stuff. And the one thing that I didn't see from this game is, is there any exploration? Do you actually like walk around a world and, you know, open doors and push? Like, is there any puzzles or not say it has to have puzzles, but is there anything other than the combat? Because it looks like that's all there is. And if that, yeah. if it's just all combat, that could get boring so quickly. So mm. I, I hope there is. Um, so I don't want to say that's all there is to the game, but that's all they've shown of the game. But it has promise. It's a PS5 exclusive, at least on console that I know of. It's the very first PS5 game ever announced, so it has a you know it has buzz there. But I just think they just showed it off in the most mundane way possible. It was really really boring. Like there's no way I would have continued watching it if it wasn't for the fact that we were going to chat about it. And mm. I, I, it's funny because I was really going to be interested to see what you thought about it, especially that it's a PS5 exclusive, and you're probably unlikely to go down that route of getting a PS5 at least in the short term. Mm. Uh, and you'd probably be more likely to go to the Series X. So I was just kind of thinking, oh, I wonder if this is like the kind of game that you look at and just go, oh, geez, I really wish I could get my hands on this game, just given your love for Dark Souls. But yeah, it's interesting that it didn't click with you. Yeah, it's it's very, like, it, visually, there's a lot of Dark Souls to it, but from gameplay-wise, it looks much closer to Darksiders. Um, and yeah. they play incredibly different. Um, you know, Darksiders is an action game through and through. Dark Souls is much more methodical action RPG. But it's, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And I think this game has potential to to really appeal to a lot of people. But I also think it has potential to be one of those launch games that people just forget exists. Like Rise yes. on the Xbox, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rise. I actually searched for that the other day. <laughs> just yeah. a game that people are like, oh, this we thought this was going to be a big thing, hey? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny about that. <laughs> Uh, well, speaking about Xbox. Ah, so, wait, before we get there, I just wanted to say, State of Play, I thought it was pretty good, but it, it, it was focusing on things we already knew about. So if anyone was expecting new stuff, I can understand why they're disappointed. Yeah, no, I agree. Cool. Now, xCloud. So, we finally have a launch date of xCloud, which is Microsoft's streaming service, and they're launching it on Android on in 15th September 2020. So essentially this means that if you have Game Pass Ultimate, 
you can then stream over 100 games uh, to your Android mobile or tablet. And it's pretty pretty good deal because if you've already got Game Pass Ultimate on another platform, then I'm assuming that they can covers you on on this, which means I've literally got an Android phone. Does that mean I can now stream any of those games? So it means you can't because you're in Australia. Exactly. Thank you. That was <laughs> you picked up on my hint there. So it's not available in Australia. So it's. Uh, do we want to go through them all? Not all the countries. <laughs> I mean, you've got Western Europe. You've got the North America, Western Europe, and then some of the major major Asian hubs. So places like South Korea. Actually, Singapore is not on this list, surprisingly. Um, but I imagine that they'd be coming shortly as well. But yes, Australia is not on this list. Show no love from Microsoft. And I mean, I understand, you know, our, our infrastructure is just probably not. <laughs> Let's just say it, even if it was achievable on our infrastructure, it's not probably worth the headaches to launch with it. You know, you know they they need to get to us at some point when they've they've sorted everything else out because otherwise you'll have a whole bunch of frustrated Australian uh, gamers because it's our internet. You know, it's it's even even the good our you know people that have good internet here is still not comparable to to the, a lot of other places in the world. So I'm, oh, I'm that's not really true. Like your internet, my internet. Because we're lucky, and and just for the context, because we do get a lot of people listening from overseas. So Australia, they did uh, have a program to basically put fiber optic throughout the whole country, and then the government changed and they changed the approach that so they used a lot of mixed technologies, and it's resulted in very patchy internet across Australia. And that's not to say people can't get internet. Pretty much anywhere in Australia, you can get internet, but can you get? highly reliable, very uh, low latency internet in Australia consistently? No. Like, depending on where you live, it's a bit of a lottery. So I think you're quite lucky and I'm quite lucky. I think we've got both very, very good connections. And our connections are as good as the average or better than the average connection in America or most of Europe. It's not comparable to somewhere like South Korea or Singapore, but that's a different sort of thing altogether because it's a very small place. That's kind of what I was meaning. Is, is Yeah, but that's different because they're so like, it's such a relatively small country. Um, you know, we're one of the largest countries in the world or the same size as America, right? So you kind of building that kind of infrastructure at scale is really hard, but we're, we're actually getting on the short end of the stick for everything like that now. So if, same as Google Stadia, not that we'd probably either of us would be joining it, but, you know, that wasn't available in Australia either. And yet, like, other product launches, like physical product launches, like new iPhones, everything like that, we've always been you know, in that first tier of company, uh, country, sorry, that it gets released in. And, and I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I totally understand why Xbox is not doing it because how would you launch it in Australia? Like, you know, ideally you'd almost want to make it an opt-in thing for Australians where you have to log in and say, yes, I want to enable xCloud and I sort of acknowledge that, you know, internet may not be, you know as reliable as it needs to be for it to work well in Australia. Am I making any sense? Yeah. And the thing for me as well is I I don't know how our mobile data plans compare to the other countries because for us, like streaming some of these games are probably going to take up a decent amount of bandwidth if you want to actually like... Oh, yeah. Some of these games, just to say some of the games I've announced so far, like Gears 5, Halo 5, Hellblade... Minecraft Dungeons, which would actually probably be good on a phone. Um, sea of Thieves. Like, they're games that are designed to be played for a while, especially, you know, like 
Halo Five and, and Gears, where they they've got long single player campaigns. So you're not just playing this game for half an hour and that's it. And you could just imagine the amount of bandwidth. So yeah, I'm I'm just thinking. You know, obviously you can play connected to Wi-Fi, but if you're out and about, or if you're on a train or whatever, like kind of that'd be horrible like where, how are you going to get wi-fi for a lot of that stuff that's going to be substantial enough to actually stream this so at that point you rely on you know your your mobile data plan or using wi-fi at home and wi-fi at home is also going to be spotty but at that point you might as well just play it on your console or your pc no i totally agree and um just just from a physical perspective the other challenge that you have in australia and you can see this with uh, highly competitive online games. For for it to be viable in Australia, what you actually need is Australian-based servers. So with this kind of service, what they do is they have like basically a content distribution network or like servers around the world. So for this, it's obvious that they've, you know, they'll have one in South Korea. They'll have one in Western Europe. They'll probably have one to three spots in the US, like the East Coast, mid west and the um the west coast but for this to really work in australia especially that it's streaming you pretty much need to set up and you know they do this virtually obviously but set up a server in you know sydney or in melbourne but that's not just as simple as turning a switch on like there's laws there's regulations there's a whole bunch of work that they'd have to do to really enable this for australia and i thought you know, that- just un. I thought they'd already started putting data centers, Microsoft in Australia. I thought they already had some. Oh, they already have that. Yeah, yeah, Azure and everything like that. They already yeah. have that because they use that from a corporate perspective. But the thing is, when you're, you know, Im- implementing a service like this, there's actually a lot of, like, regulatory things you need to go through. Like, from a privacy perspective, it's not just as simple as going, you know, you have Xbox, so then you can just do X Cloud. You know, there's other laws and rules and you have to consult with people to actually understand what the legislation is around this kind of stuff because, you know, you can have very unique things in jurisdictions. So I I look at it and I go, geez, like, I wonder when this is going to come out. Like, it feels like there's a real possibility this will be years before it comes to Australia, which is really a shame, to be honest, because I'd love to try this out. I'm actually more interested in the other aspects of xCloud, which they've talked about, which is actually streaming from your console, your Xbox console, to your device within your own home. Yeah, um, that'd be really cool. Yeah, and I've already actually done that before with streaming from Xbox One to PC. And it's it works pretty well. Like, I only generally tend to do it with games that you, you can deal with a bit of input delay, like RP, turn-based RPGs and things like that. Um, you, you couldn't do with an, you know, anything at least in my with my home setup um i couldn't do it with anything that requires like split second reactions um, yeah so i'm interested to see have them expand on that which i've talked about before obviously it's not the focus for this this is launching xcloud streaming on you know mobile platforms but talking about mobile platforms um <laughs> yeah. the reason why it's uh they specified it's android launch date that's because they're having problems with apple so they had they actually had xCloud testing going on on iOS uh, for a yeah. while, and then they actually ceased that because apparently Apple uh, this this is according to you know a lot of what I've read uh, and may have even been Microsoft saying it themselves that because Apple's policies say that they need to actually review the content as in the games themselves streaming on the service that they 
yeah, which is not really feasible because game Microsoft need to be able to add and remove things, you know, all the time. It's that's getting in the way of them actually putting XCloud on uh, Apple's products. It's this whole thing is total BS from Apple. So, you know, full disclosure: some people like to think that I'm a Apple fanboy. I will always defend that I'm not. Like even recently, I switched from using Mac to Windows 10. Um, I just like to use the best product that's available. So I have an iPhone, but I have other sort of, you know, devices for other things. And this whole thing is just total BS from Apple. And some of the stuff that they're doing recently, I feel like they're going to get really close to having the European Union and and or uh, the Congress in America really like coming down at them for market power and also just monopoly powers. Because why are they not doing this with Netflix? Why are they not asking Netflix to review, like for Apple to review every single Netflix movie that comes up or TV show? I mean, they don't do that. So I, I, I cannot understand at all how this is any different. I think Because they have an iTunes store as well. I don't... So, I- from my understanding, it's because the policy specifies something in the way of interactive content. That's, yeah, but that's the my thing understanding. Is, so that's why it real. applies to games and not actual... Like, it's stupid. It is 100% stupid. But I think that's the reason it's not... That it doesn't apply to, like, you know, your Netflixes and things like that. No, look, the reason is because they want to get money off every game oh, that's sold yeah, on I know, I know. iPhone, right? Let's <laughs> be real about, about it. What, like, I'm talking about what the, the is the actually lies, said in emails and, and yeah. things, not the actual reason, real reasons. And, and I actually really like that Spotify and Microsoft. So I just link in Spotify because Spotify publicly called out Apple around their policies around the integration with Siri. So very much like, you know, Apple Music was really integrated with Siri, but Spotify didn't have the opportunity to do that. So they weren't even allowed to. They were blocked from being able to integrate it with Siri. And they basically made it a big public issue. The European Union got involved. You know, Spotify, by the way, is a European-based company, so there's probably something there, quote-unquote. But I, I actually like also that Microsoft's come out and said pretty much like pretty aggressively as well. Like this is wrong. Like, you know, we obviously review every single game. It does the equivalent of ESRB or, you know, the categories in Australia. So they're not a two bit operator. Let's be real. It's like one of the biggest companies, if not still, I think the biggest company in the world, Microsoft, like they're not going to allow games on there that wouldn't sort of somewhat be in line with Apple's policies. It's just, I really find it disgusting to be honest. And, and it really annoys me as well because I've got an iPhone. So even if this was amazingly available, I then wouldn't be able to use it because of Apple's policies. And it's not just Microsoft. Facebook are having the same problem um, because they've got their Facebook gaming app, but you can't mm. actually use it to play games on because yeah, it's, it's, a, it's the it's same joke, problem. Man. It's the same problem. It's a joke. And and 100%, it's just there's a huge amount of money it's the reason why they split the app store on Apple into, it used to just be everything. And now it's split into apps and games. And then they've obviously got, you know, the Apple arcade service, which, you know, is not necessarily going that well, but you know, games is a huge moneymaker for them on Apple. And they just like, if they just came out and said, we don't want to allow it. I'm okay with that. As a company, you're allowed to do that. Now, will they get challenged if they do that? Maybe, but the, the reasons why they're saying it, it's just, it's just BS. Like, I want to say something stronger, but it's just BS, right? 
Like, go, I just think it's ahead. disgusting. No, I'm not. Vince. But, Vince. <laughs> no, but it's just like, it's wrong, actually. Like, lying like this. Saying, you know, that they can't review the games. It's just crap. It's like, there's no way that Microsoft... Facebook, on the other hand, I could imagine letting things slip through. But Microsoft and Sony, they don't just let anything go on the platform. And they respond just as much as Apple. And, I mean, there's been really crazy games that have been on um, the App Store. And apps as well. So it's like, what are they even talking about? It's just, it really annoys me, actually. It really, really... Anyway, that's the rant over about Apple. <laughs> so we've also had... Um... Ubisoft, uh, Ubisoft, sorry. I don't know why I say Ubisoft. Ubisoft. I actually, okay, so can I just pause you there? I actually did this massive deep dive on how to say it, just given that we we're doing this <laughs> podcast, and it's actually mixed. It's one of those ones where pretty much it's correct to say Ubisoft or Ubisoft. Generally, if you're a French speaker, you'll say Ubi, uh, Ubisoft, and if you're an English speaker, you'll say Ubisoft. Yeah, that's fair enough. I just, I, I say Ubisoft, so it was just weird. Um, yeah, and I say Ubisoft, so we're, we're covering both bases. <laughs> yeah. So they've uh, signed a deal with Parsec, which is a streaming service that they've previously used to stream demos of Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Watch Dogs Legion around the time of their past Ubisoft Forward event to journalists. So we don't know at this point if it just means they've partnered for them uh, for just to continue that purpose and expand, or if, you know, it'll expand to other, uh, I guess, uh, uses so it's just a i guess another update in that stream world it's it's this stuff is coming so quickly now you know obviously stadia has has fallen on its face but it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see where this stuff is at in 10 years time you know we had you know um all those uh, i can't remember the I can't remember the one of the first people that were doing this back in the day that Sony bought them and made PlayStation now I can't remember the name of them but this is stuff that's been... Oh, bubbling. yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, it's been bubbling away for a while now, but now it seems like it's actually happening. It's like, okay, streaming is is here and it's it's only going to get more so. And mm. it's a little worrying because you, you don't want that to become the norm because at some point then it's really out of the hand of consumers about what they have control over. And the last thing you want is for your internet connection to completely determine if you're able to play a game or not for everything. So we know that there's power outages, or not power outages, sorry, like you're going to not be able to play anything with power outages. But as in, if your internet goes down, Switch. If, yeah, if your internet goes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> if your internet goes down, you can't even play a game. That's a shame, but it's good to have the options. So it'll be interesting to see it, where it is. All in 10 but it's inevitable, I feel. Like it, there's hurdles currently, there's hurdles in the way of streaming games. But if you look at other formats and other media, they're all moving to streaming. Like, I mean, I, you know, the one album I thought I was going to buy was um, Tool's new album, Fear Inoculum. And then I didn't buy it because it was so expensive, by the way. Um, but, you know, like everything's kind of moved to streaming from a music point of view, mm. movies. Like, Fair point. You know, yeah, look, yeah. And, you know, just on this kind of trend thing, it's, you know, obviously COVID-19 is accelerating a lot of these trends that were happening anyway. Um so, you know, I, I actually would love to see them do something interesting like next year's E3 if they have a version where you don't have to go there physically to play the vertical slice demos or, you know, previews. Maybe they can do it so that you use a service like this and you as a consumer can log in and you get to play it for, you know, five minutes or whatever and it's available in a, you know, 24-hour window. Just stuff like that would be really awesome and it's great how the technology can allow you to do that kind of stuff. 
Oh, for things like demos around events, I think it's great. Um, what I would like is it to be mixed, you know, how you've got the ability to have some stuff local and some stuff streamed so that you've always got, you know, in the case where if the internet's down, I've at least got something else I can play. So I think that I yeah. hope that there's always a bit of a mixed approach. But anyway, we'll see how it all no, works. totally agree. Now, news that I'm very, very excited for. I was very excited about it last week when the pocket was announced. Um, and I can't remember if I said it at the time, but my personal view, I thought, yeah, it probably would sell out. And it's one of those things that I just try to log in and buy straight away just in case. Not that they necessarily was were really clear about it being a very limited number of pockets. Um, but what ended up happening was really a bit of a kerfuffle with quite a few people. So can I just, uh, so just say, sorry, your your tone of voice tells me that you're one of the fortunate ones from, from this. <laughs> you're, you, yeah. you haven't got a pissed off sound in your voice. <laughs> yeah. Look like... Okay, so like I'll cut to the chase. Yes, yes, I, I was very fortunate to 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 get it, and I'll probably just call out as well. And I do sympathise with people who uh, didn't get it uh, due to just kind of not thinking about it or kind of going, "Oh wait, that thing's live!" Like I might jump on because as obsessed as I've been about this, and I even said last time that I built a bot to monitor my email for when they announced the pre-order date. And by the way. By the way, that bot actually works. It's live still. They never sent an email to confirm that the pocket's going live on a certain date. And people missed out on it because they would they don't follow the news. So they just said, oh, you know, they're going to send me an email saying the pocket's going to get, you know, for pre-order on this date. So I'll just follow my email. That's fine. So some poor people have missed out on it completely because they never sent an email in the first place about it. I don't know. I, I don't have bad. any people involved in in the analog business, but uh, I I can understand how this sometimes this stuff just doesn't happen the way you want it to, especially if it's a small business. So it, it's it's very 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 small business, and they've struck on something. And and just to call it out, they you know we'll round out the show with. Um, I'll just say it's me posing a question of how many of these things could they have sold. So we'll cover that at the end in the special feature, but, you know, they're a very small business and I think they've just clicked on something. You know, the context is the first thing they released was like a Neo Geo, you know, like hardware, uh, limited edition, you know, piece of art almost slash video game console, right? Like, I don't think uh, Christopher Tabor, the guy who runs Analog, uh, you know, I think some people, they have a certain personality and I don't. He doesn't strike me as a guy who's like, I'm trying to create this mega company. Like, I think he wants to make a very niche company that makes, you know, things that are at a design level, like easily to me, as good as anything that Apple produces. But, you know, like for retro, but then kind of making it modern. Like, it's a very weird niche thing that he's kind of struck into. Um, And yeah, like, so just to kind of go through what happened to me personally. So I was sitting here talking to my wife on Monday night. And then it clicked over to midnight. So we're on Tuesday and it's going live Tuesday, 1am. And I actually legit like kind of forgot about it. So it was like 12.30pm. And then I was sitting there and then I thought, wait a second, the pocket (laughs) is about to go on sale. I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) I almost forgot about it. (laughs) So then I log into the site and I'm like, and I actually, this is sad to say, like, I was like, almost like had a lot of adrenaline. I was like, oh my God, I can't miss out on this thing. And by the way, like my context was, I didn't think it would sell out really quickly. I, you know, when they announced, 
you know, uh, the NT Mini Noir. I think that was open for a week, the pre-orders. And they normally have these pre-orders open for around a week. Uh, and they don't typically, like, sell out that aggressively. Like, they've had ones where it sells out in a day or two. And people get a, a little bit annoyed, but I thought, Can I I'm going to get it. They didn't. They didn't say that there was also going to be super limited amount. Did well, they? They they did say it's limited, but they didn't. They didn't emphasize how limited, right? And I think they understand how popular the the product was and the demand for it. And you know the fact that they released the tweet kind of indicating that it's going to come out on a certain date, and then you know showed the date, and then it was picked up by IGN, Gamespot. They had links to the pre order, everything like that. It, it was going to be big, right? Let's be real. Um, but how big, maybe it wasn't so clear. So when I actually logged in, I wanted to get a black for me, a white for my wife, and then the dock and, you know, a few accessories. I didn't get a Game Gear accessory, by the way. Hmm. Um, and part of that was because... Well, they didn't have the other ones available. And I just thought, ah, I'm just... I hope that like one day they'll have them all available and, you know, on a second run or something like that. And maybe I'll get it then in one go rather than just get half of them. How are you ever going to play the Game Gear Mortal Kombat? (laughs) Yeah. And I can actually stream it because, you know, with the dock and everything like that. So, you know, it clicks to close to 1 p.m. So that's like their version of launch at 8 a.m. Pacific time. And what I always do with these things that sell really quickly, I just start refreshing the page before it clicks to the minute mark. So it was like 12.59. So I just started refreshing then. And it actually popped up before it actually clicked over to the actual time, which is weird. Uh, so yeah, it clicked over and then I'm like, oh, okay, bang, gotta get this, gotta get that. Get it all in my cart and everything like that. Next, next, next. Uh, and then it actually hung on the shipping. So it just like spun. It didn't give me a shipping number. So I had to back out of it, go back in again, popped up, said the, uh, you know, ridiculous shipping price it is to Australia. And it's just like, it's so crazy. I think I said 140 bucks last week. I think it worked out to be 120 bucks shipping, which is just so bad. Um, And then, yeah, like I was lucky enough to sort of buy it and I got my order confirmation, you know, has the, the sort of order number. And by the way, and this is like something for later as well, all the order numbers are sequential uh, for analog since the first product they released. And then I was just checking Twitter and everything. I was like, oh, thank God I got this product. I clicked on something and then people were like, oh, it sold out. I was like, oh my God, like what the hell? Like they actually published it 15 minutes after the sales started saying sold out. And, you know, going a little bit deep on it with like a lot of the analog communities, it seems like it sold out in about eight minutes because people who tried to buy it at like what their time, you know, Pacific time would have been eight Oh nine. It wasn't available at that time. You you just still going deep on that analog. Just, (laughs) and you know, the other one is people started to say what order numbers they were and when they bought it and, you know, products that they bought from analog prior to the going live. So it seems like there was about 10 to 12,000 orders for, from analog at that time. And then you could buy, and so a lot of people are saying you could only buy two pockets. So it actually said on their limit of two, but when I was clicking on it, it looked like you could actually buy, and I might be wrong about this. And I'd love someone to write in and tell us if I'm wrong about this. It looked like you could actually buy two black ones and two white ones. I didn't try that because I'm not like scalping them or anything like that. I'm just buying it for me and my wife, but it actually looked like you could buy two of each. 
But well, even if you just sort of imagine that it's only two total, I would probably say there was about 15,000 analog pockets sold within those eight minutes. You you should definitely be able to do that um, unless they've you know done any customizations because I've been working with Shopify quite a bit recently and... I mean, there's they're different listings, they're different products. So you, you could set, you know, maximum amount per per uh, I guess order or, or you know customer. Um, yeah. And if they're different listings, then yeah. So the only other way I guess is they could have you know put one limit, but then that means that if someone wants two black ones, they can't get two black ones. You know. So. Yeah. So like I and you know I'll I'll just say right up that I'm not 100 percent sure because you know I did I wasn't mucking around. And not that I thought it was going to sell out. I actually didn't think it was going to sell out like within eight minutes. I definitely didn't expect that. I thought, yeah, maybe it'll sell out in a couple of days. So I just want to get mine and just be sure. Um, but yeah, the fact that it, it, you know, like sold out so quickly, I, I just wasn't sure if you could buy two of those, but I would probably say about 15,000, my guess would be in terms of the number that was sold. So then... Yeah, and just by the way, like on this, like how many they've made and, you know, like scaling is a really weird thing. You know, if they if they were gearing up to make 100,000, let's say, it might actually not come out in 2021. It might be 2022. Like, it's like you need different processes to be able to actually build more of things. It's not as simple as just doing it faster in a lot of cases. It's especially, not how these products are manufactured. Especially considering you know, the world's just rebounding from a whole bunch of, you know, parts factories and and manufacturers being shut down. I'm assuming, you know, some of these parts may be coming from, uh, you could correct me on this, but they may be coming from China and things like that. So... Yeah, it's manufactured in China. So... And I mean, they're just rebounding from that, you know. We're now seeing that that things are getting back to capacity, but they have to factor all that stuff in. You know, the last thing yeah. you want to do is not be able to actually provide what someone's paid for. So you kind of need to, yeah, you need to, I guess, make sure you can deliver. Yeah. And, you know, one thing, because I think people have been pretty harsh on people who missed out, like kind of saying, oh, why didn't they log in when it started? I think people are rightfully upset because, you know, they tried to buy it. So they were doing the right thing. They logged in at, you know, right when the minute started and because of this shipping thing with Spotify, it's obvious that the immense traffic that hit them, it, it just couldn't spit out like quotes for the shipping. And some people were just like, it was spinning for five minutes. They tried it again and then it was sold out. So but that, you know, I kind of get that, it. All that means, obviously that's that's not good, but surely that means, well, instead of selling it in eight minutes, it would have sold out in five minutes, you know, if they had actually a limit yes. on what they could sell. So. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've always been a big believer with these type of things that, you know, when it's really limited, they should just limit it so that you can only buy one, like one pocket. You can't buy a black and a white, or even potentially, I think, maybe two blacks and two whites. I definitely don't think you should allow that, but I actually really think, yeah, you should be only allowed to buy one because they've already said they're going to make more runs. So it's like, okay, I get that you want to maybe buy two, maybe you're a collector, you want to play with one and keep one or, you know, like my situation, my wife will get the other one. Um, You know, I, I really think you have to limit it to one. And then I actually think the fairest thing to do would be, you know, you log in and maybe for the first 15 minutes, it's like a ballot, right? So you get in, you log in, you kind of quote unquote pay for it. So they they test charge your account so that they know that, yes, you do have money in your credit card. 
And then for that like 15 minute window, you, you almost get your raffle ticket. Mm. So yes, I want to buy one. I'll get a black one. Da, 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 this is the kind of order. Press submit. And then at the end of the 15 minutes, they then go, okay, well, we've had 100,000 people who want this and we only have 15,000 units. It's just randomized who gets it. To me, that's like a hell of a lot more fair than, you know, you jump on, you quickly try to buy it. Like scalpers are in there probably faster with bots and automation. Like that, I don't know. It's just not a good experience. So on that note, so you're saying maybe they should have actually, actually purchased it? For that raffle thing and actually spent the money because no my, no, my- no 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 so you can test charge accounts so you could test charge a credit card so then you know that they have the money because the credit card company will push it back if they don't but if they just have, say like deny. if that paypal is an option though then there's going to be paypal fees involved there isn't there yeah, just maybe remove PayPal okay. and just go, sorry, you don't have PayPal. I just think, like, it, to me, it's much fairer if you did something like that and said you can't... Or maybe you need a credit card to actually register for this, but you could pay with PayPal if you're one of the fortunate people that, you know, your number came up. Like, you got the like, the golden ticket, right? Hmm. From a Willy Wonka reference. I don't know. I just look at it and go, you know, this has really made people bitter in a fair way, I think, actually. And, you know, you even had really funny examples like Frodo, Elijah Wood. He was trying to buy a pocket. So he had it in the cart and everything and clicked a few things. And then he couldn't proceed to purchase. Why have you linked Elijah Wood? Wow. Yeah. He tried to buy it and he couldn't. That's (laughs) funny. And a lot of people missed out. And just looking at the analog community. So, like, you know, I'd look at these people as a real hardcore people. Even they missed out on it. You know, they were there right at the start and they still couldn't get through because of some shipping issues. I do. So you say it's funny and Frodo, like, I mean, that dude has is produced video games and things before. So it's, it's no, no, I'm just industry. saying like, <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying in the sense that like this thing is a lot bigger than I think people realize yeah, and the demand for it. And we'll cover that at, at later in, um, later in the, in the show, in the special feature. Can I just ask, Let's... how many, before we move on, just how many do you think were potentially sold, uh, purchased by scalpers? Because oh, surely, I actually think, cause surely I knowing Spotify, not Spotify, Shopify's um, like setup is pretty standard unless you've gone out of your way to, you know, like modify it a lot. So scalpers could easily build a lot of stuff there to actually like purchase multiple stuff. Yeah. multiple orders so i wonder if if that that's actually one not one of the reasons why it sold out but that could have also you know we'll start to see a whole influx of, of analog pockets on the shop on you know yeah places where scalpers usually sell i don't know if they're allowed to sell that stuff <laughs> like anymore eBay. on ebay without yeah. being like an approved reseller so but... so I'll, I'll i'll clarify how that all works so because i don't like dwelling on that stuff too much um but yes, yeah, so they're definitely scalpers. It's very hard to quantify how many. I mean, even with the earlier ones like the NT Mini, that was scalped a lot. Um, and oh, when I say a lot, it, it probably would have been small numbers, but there were, was a big secondary market for it. In terms of eBay, there have already been people who have listed and sold the pre-order for the Analog Pocket, and it's gone for about four times the price. So, you know, you could buy it for... 199 US and someone had sold it for like seven, eight hundred dollars US. How can you, how can you possibly get a, like, how does, I know with, with eBay, it's probably like, you know, ignorance is, is, is they're, they're fine to be ignorant because they make money from it, but it's, 
like when you're selling, reselling a pre-order, there, there's no product. The product doesn't exist of what you're actually. It, it's like at that point you're just selling a code. Yeah. Like, so there's a clear policy from eBay on this. So you're allowed to sell pre-orders, but you need to be able to deliver within a 30-day window of when the auction closes. So all of these listings are in breach of eBay policies. Okay, okay. So all of them, I mean, people are literally going through and reporting. If you if you search for analog pocket, you actually won't see many on eBay because people, and you know, let's be real, people are pretty bitter about this whole thing. And, you know, I've seen people say, oh, I'm never going to buy anything from analog now. And, you know, and that's fine. You know, you're entitled to your feelings. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are actually going through and, and reporting it to eBay saying like, it even says in the listing, this won't get delivered to May, 2021. So it's obvious breach of, of, uh, their listing rules. So yeah, but you know, when it comes out next year in May, 2021, given how such a small number compared to, I believe the demand for it, man, I think these things are going to go for like a grand each on eBay. And by the way, and I said this last week, I think it's a really good deal for what you're getting. Like, I think it's a ridiculously good deal for like 199 US dollars for this thing. Like, what it what it's capable of doing. And then you look at you know the whole PSP era. A lot of people, you know, bought PSPs just so that they could hack them. You know, like mm. this offers out of the box Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance playability. And you know, let's be real, someone's gonna you know, have custom firmware for this where you'll just be able to play ROMs on the SD. It's not something I'll do, but, you know, that's going to happen for sure. So people will just look at this as a great, you know, retro Nintendo, you know, portable device um, that's on the go. My condolences to anyone that wasn't able to get one. Yeah, same. And I'm I'm actually like, you know, I could have easily been in that window of like not getting it. And I probably would be so bitter in this whole section about it because... Who knows when you're going to be able to get it post May 2021, right? Mm. Like they they don't do these runs very often, so it might be late next year at the earliest before you can get it, which just absolutely sucks. Um, but you know, really changing gears, Suicide Squad. We finally know what Rocksteady has been working on for how many years now? Is it? it so like for a long, long time. I mean, their last game was put out in 2016, which was the Batman mm. VR game. Um, but, but was that actually them or just like a side team and they I, had some help it was, on it? I mean, it was Rocksteady Studios, so I don't know the details, but it's, I mean, they were involved. So I'd say that's the last game that they, you know, were involved in. But yeah, you could enough. say that this essentially is their their big, their big next proper follow-up to 2015's yeah. Batman Arkham Knight. And the rumours have been going around for a long time that it was either one of two things. It was either a Superman game um or a justice league game i should say or it was a suicide squad game and it's possible it might be a mix of the two but it's definitely suicide squad because rocksteady tweeted out uh, an image of a suicide suicide squad logo but it had a picture of batman with a crosshair on his head and we don't know the exact name so at this point you just got to assume suicide squad but there have been rumours that potentially it's something along the lines of Suicide Squad kills the Justice League or versus Justice League or something like that. But the they also included a date, which is August 22nd, so not far off. I think it's part of the DC Fandom uh, event, which is, I imagine, a streaming event. And at that point, I think we will know a lot more. So I think we may need to, I guess, just pause our thoughts about it until we actually see what the game is. Uh, and that'll be within the next few weeks. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think, yeah, once we get some more information about it, it's it's going to be really cool to talk about it because I love this studio. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I think this is such a great IP for them to pick up and, and play with from a creating a game out of. Um, but yeah, let, let's probably reserve some uh, of the thoughts until I, it I, actually gets properly announced. I will also just say that it, it's interesting timing because you've got James Gunn working on uh, a new Suicide Squad movie as well. So it's interesting you're going to have those two things going at the same time. So look forward to it. Yeah, and I mean, Suicide Squad as an IP is amazing. It, you know, whether the movie, and I'm sure we'll cover this <laughs> when we see more information about this game, whether the movie was a good movie, uh, you know, you'll have to wait to hear my thoughts about it, but you probably can guess already. <laughs> uh, um, Pikmin 3. So we are down to like one or two Wii U games that haven't been ported. So Pikmin 3, the Wii U 2013 release is getting a deluxe version. So it's going to contain everything and all of the mission and side mission DLC uh, that came with Pikmin 3. And as what Nintendo often does, they add a few additional things to the games that they re-release, especially from the Wii U port era uh, that they've been doing to Switch. So that includes uh, some control features, difficulty settings, and a, and I find this really hard to say, but a Piclopedia is that a, is that the way you'd say it? Yeah, Piclopedia. I, I yeah. think that's super easy to say. I don't know why you have okay. trouble with it. I, I had trouble. <laughs> sorry, with sorry, that I'm a person. Squad for some reason, but Piclopedia <laughs> yeah, is no problem. <laughs> I love that smash cut of you struggling to say Suicide Squad and then having a go at me with Piclopedia. Hey, at least I didn't uh, do it. But yeah, like, you know, look, like, let's be real. And, and we will cover the numbers of how many Switch consoles have been sold, but the Wii U didn't sell well. Like, I bought one after getting a Switch from memory. Um and, you know, it's a really cool console, but it does, to me, feel like a bit of a prototype of what the Switch ended up becoming. Um, but there's so many great games on it. So it was kind of always going to happen that Nintendo was going to start porting their games. But even I was surprised at how aggressively they've ported the games across from Wii U onto Switch. They are determined to make people forget that the, the Wii U ever existed. Yeah, it really is going down that Virtual Boy uh, way isn't it where mm. it feels like they don't even like to mention it and i liked the wii u the i did while i didn't hate the control it was so so clunky in in design but it was it was fine like i used to enjoy um you know just hopping to bed and, and using it and you know playing super metroid on it now the switch does that fine as well even though i will say the the actual controls that were on the wii u controller were much better than the controls on the switch Joy Cons, in my opinion, um, just oh, like the it, default ones. Oh, yeah, the, well, the fact, yeah, oh, yeah, the, definitely, it had a proper D pad and everything. So, yeah, definitely, it was just the actual thing itself was, you know, a lot bigger, and obviously the screen was nowhere near as good as the Switch screen. But I'm, I'm a little torn about this because I think this is great. The Pikmin series is is beloved. Um, I remember when I first played Pikmin, I owned the first two on the GameCube and. I was very put off by uh, the design, uh, the timing. You know, you had a certain amount of days to to achieve what you need to do in the first Pikmin. And I believe they, they changed that in the second one, but then they brought a lot some timed aspects back in the third one again. Mm. I kind of... Pikmin games, to me, seem like they would be better with, with no kind of urgency whatsoever. But I understand it's built into design. It's kind of like the, the way I feel about the Dead Rising games that have the timers as well. 
other than Majora's Mask or Majora's Mask, however that's pronounced, is other than that game, I've never really enjoyed a game that has a strict time uh, to it. You know, you've got to do things in within amount of time. So I, this looks good, but I think that will always put me off a bit if there's any aspect to that. But I think there's you can do some stuff to mitigate that a bit in Pikmin Three, I believe. So. And it's funny you say about the time thing because I don't like it either. Like I don't like I, I didn't like it in Majora's Mask the time element. Like, and I think it's also because I, you know, when I look at, um, you know, the website howlongtobeat.com, the one where it lists how mm. long games are and how quickly people have beaten them, not from really necessarily a speedrunning perspective, but more completion and stuff like that, I'm always at the upper end in terms of spending way longer to complete stuff than most, or the average person, let's say. Um, so I don't know. I think for me, the way I play games, I like to just explore and go do my own thing. And yeah, games with a timer, generally I'm just a bit like, oh, you know, I feel like this pressure or something all the mm. way through and I'm not really having fun, if that makes sense. Yeah, but for anyone that never played Pikmin 3 but played the original ones, um, apparently they did make a lot of changes, not so much in the deluxe one, just in the you know original Pikmin 3 to the way that things work and, and really made it much, have much more depth, depth in how you use the Pikmin for combat and things like that. So if you... If you enjoyed any of the, f- the first two and never got around the third one, it sounds like it was actually a brilliant game. So, yeah. Mm. No, definitely. And then talking about games that are sort of going from versions on prior consoles and then maybe getting upgraded a bit, uh, Doom Eternal and Elder Scrolls Online. Yeah, so some early news that came out of uh, QuakeCon at home, which is obviously their attempt to salvage QuakeCon not being a physical uh, convention this year. Yeah, they announced Doom Eternal, Elder Scrolls Online, uh, coming to both next-gen consoles, and the owners on the current gen will get free upgrades, which is awesome. And I oh, say nice. free upgrades. Elder Scrolls Online by itself, I believe, is free to play at the moment, but the big DLC expansions aren't. So I hope that what that means is that if you own the expansions, it carries across. Because at this point, mm. if it's just the base game, Elder Scrolls Online, that's not much of a thing anyway. So I, I imagine with that announcement, that's what it meant, because the base game will probably be free to play anyway. But mm. that's really cool for Duel, Doom Eternal, not Dual Eternal, um, <laughs> because that's you know that's a pretty much a brand new game still. And they also announced uh, the DLC for it. So I think it's called Ancient Gods. I don't know anything about it, but it's, uh, I think, going to probably be part one of a multi-part DLC series. So that's really cool. And there might be potentially some more news out of QuakeCon that, um, as of the time of this recording, weren't available. I think the the news for the the next-gen upgrades actually was announced just prior to the event, so they got ahead of it. So we'll see uh, next week if there's anything else cool that came out. Mm. Yeah, nice. And, yeah, I can just see that they've confirmed that it's going to be campaign DLC. Because for me, the one thing that I'm always interested in, is it like a more of a multiplayer skins or another mode or is it actual continuation of story or a new story? And I don't know, like I'm very frugal. When I see that they're going to have more campaign and more story, I'll often just go, oh, okay, I'm just going wait to wait for them to release all of it and then buy the complete version. Because it's always like hell of a lot cheaper. And I don't know, I just hate owning a game and then knowing like if I love it, that there's more game out there, but I don't have it. And then I'm like, oh, I've got to go spend almost the same amount of money to go buy the DLC. Some well, people would say it's cheap, but well, I've, I've <laughs> like seen, I'm being cheap. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's 
some games, you know, you got to look at the history of that publisher. You know, did they ever do that for any of their other games? And mm. it's so it's you know not every everyone's going to do it, but the trend I've seen is what companies will do now is if they've got DLC that's on the horizon or has just come out, they'll often actually put the base game on something like Game Pass. So a game we'll talk that's in the bargain bin a bit later did that, essentially gets added to Game Pass, and then when the DLC comes out, that's actually pushed. Hey, and someone's already in that game now. They've already kind of opted in because they had access to it. Now they're more inclined to actually purchase the DLC. So I've been seeing that yeah. trend quite a bit, and at least on Xbox. Yeah. No, so I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for this because I love Doom 2016. Like, it's one of the few games I own on Switch and then also on the PC as well. And, you know, really highly rate that game. Like, it's such a hard thing to go back to an IP and reimagine it a bit. And they did such an awesome job with a new design mechanic. Um, so I'm, I've definitely got my eyes on Doom Eternal and, you know, I definitely will be playing it on PC um, and I'm looking forward to it, actually. And then, you know, switching to a game that I think you're very excited about. Yeah, well, I'd say tentatively excited. Um, so Cold Symmetry, um, a new developer, but made up of apparently, um, you know, a bunch of people who've experienced doing working on AAA games, has been working on an action RPG title called Mortal Shell. And it's been announced it's actually been released on uh, August the 18th. So it's been, it's there's been a beta for it. It's got a lot of buzz in the Souls community. Obviously, they would have, you know, done a whole bunch of, um, they did a whole bunch of you know promotional stuff with YouTubers that are you know content creators that are big in the Souls community. So there's there's heaps of cool information out there about it. It's definitely Souls like. You know we we joke about things mm. like Dark Souls. This is basically Dark Souls, but it's got a, some cool spins to it. Um, got a cool mechanic uh, based around shells so as as per the actual name of the game you know you see like i guess dead warriors past warriors you get their shells and then you can equip them and there's actually ways to change them in mid battle so that you can like adapt but one of the cool mechanics is when you're fighting you can actually like harden yourself so almost like hero hero in smash brothers when he turns metal you can kind of do that and build it into your combos where you can essentially like tank damage by turning like into stone or whatever for an instant and mm. then change back and then attack the enemy. So it's, it seems, it looks cool. Um, it's got some positive um, feedback and some negative feedback from the beta. I hope that they take the negative, they took the negative feedback seriously from some of the big names in that community regarding the way that um, they deal with health consumables because basically you'd use health it would take forever to actually you know to regen your health and then that means that when you're fighting a boss you'd run away from them until your health just slowly regenerated so there's things like that that i hope that they did listen to i'm not going to pick it up on launch because i'm going to wait to make sure that you know there's no big i guess it's an unknown developer so you don't you have no idea how the game's going to launch and it's just yeah, whether or not it's going to have technical problems. I hope not. Obviously, I, I've, I've got hope that this will be a great game. So I'll probably um, give it a couple of weeks and then uh, I might pick it up and uh, give my thoughts on it. Yeah, get your swim impressions. <laughs> uh, it looks really cool. <laughs> it looks really cool. And I love the aesthetic. Uh, and I like the mechanic as well, where you die and then I don't know what you call it. I don't know what the game calls it, but it's almost like, you know, the spirit that is controlling the shell actually pops out Mm. and you can actually still survive if you get back into the shell yeah you essentially have like one hp 
And yeah, yeah, that, that's cool. I like that. They've said you can go throughout the whole game without even using a shell, but that means that basically one hit kills you. So that's really interesting because one hit and and soul level one runs in Souls games are huge self imposed challenges that people always do, and this is almost built into the game. You can you can do it basically by not using the core mechanic. So that's pretty neat. Well, for your sake, hopefully it's not an achievement because that's going to be really bloody hard to get. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Um, yeah, the, I, I, in that regard, I mean, FromSoft has always been pretty good with that stuff, but the a lot of the indie developers that make Souls-like games haven't been. So we'll see, we'll see. Mm. So it's on PC, but it's exclusive to Xbox, uh, sorry, to the Epic Game Store and then PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah. And just switching to another thing that has exclusive around it, Spider-Man. Spider-Man is going to be exclusive character on the PlayStation 5 version of Marvel's The Avengers. Interesting, interesting, interesting. And interesting the way that they handled this announcement, I thought. Yeah, this this didn't go down too well. <laughs> oh, yes, it did not go down too well. Like... Some people that I follow and listen to, some content creators out there, they really railed against this, man. Like, re- like to the point where the stuff this, I'm not getting this game, I'm going to stay away from it, da, da, da. I was like, wow, that was, there's really aggressive feedback on this. I, and I'll tell you what, so I understand both sides on this because mm. it's almost, a, it's almost less of a tie-in with Spider-Man as Spider-Man and more a tie-in with the Spider-Man video game in my eyes, which was a big PlayStation 4 exclusive. And of of course, you've got Spider-Man Miles Morales coming out for PlayStation 5 as well. So to me, it almost feels more a tie-in to that. But I can understand why people don't see it that way. And this, I mean, Spider-Man will be released post-launch. So the game's coming out very soon, September the 4th. Um, Spider-Man, they said, post-launch early 2021. So it's not going to be around for a while. But... It's it's not just this, but they've then gone and added a whole bunch of other PlayStation Five exclusive <laughs> content that's got nothing to do with Spider Man. It's Sony are clearly really, really um, pushing this game and pushing to have exclusive content for this game. And like my thoughts about the game aside, which just looks so unappealing to me, and that's as a big fan of the MCU movies. Um, it's, yeah, and I'm not. Yeah, this is this just seems so outdated this approach like i thought we were past console exclusive um content like this now there's obviously this stuff's been going back a while and i, I see uh it's got that you've mentioned you know that there there's there's been like soul caliber uh mm. exclusive characters which at the time at least felt like well each each platform was getting something special yes yes so, and I thought, you know, that that would have been the way that they could have handled this on the contrary, like, especially if you're Microsoft slash Xbox. So yeah, it was Soul Calibur 2. So that came out on GameCube, PS2 and Xbox. They had Link, uh, Hayachi and Spawn respectively uh, for those, those consoles. I think that's awesome, right? Mm. Like that's gives you a bit of a different look on each one. I didn't know that at the time, but I, you know, just reading about Soul Calibur 2 again, they actually were originally planning to uh, have Cloud on mm. the PS2 version. That would have been incredible. That would have been incredible. Um, but I, people did not react negatively to that. I remember at the time when that game came out, there wasn't really like a negative press around it or just, you know, the common, 
chat that you have with people. But I think especially having it where they've almost made it like a gimped version of the Avengers on Xbox <laughs> versus the PlayStation, you know, because it's now just a strict subset of the game on Xbox I, compared to the PlayStation one. It's weird. I it's think, just really weird. I don't think we mentioned, I believe this is a free exclusive character as well. So it is like not so much even in the case where it's exclusive purchasable content. This is this is literally them getting more content. Yeah. It's, and it's just, it's, it's really odd all around because I think everyone accepts that there can be exclusive console games, but making it like a game that's cross-platform with exclusive elements on one console and then nothing on the other hmm. just is a really great way to annoy people and then get real negative buzz about your game. And this game already had a lot of negative buzz. Like, the way they managed this, why did they even announce this? You know, like, they could have announced this later as well, once the game's already launched. Yeah. Like, I really feel like that they've put a sour tone on the whole launch now. And you've been seeing in recent years, um, I think Control did this, um, Call of Duty's done this as well, where um, expansions or DLCs have been coming out first on PlayStation, for instance, and then released later, Mm. like 30 days later or two months later. At least at that point, you know, well, okay, they've done some exclusivity deal or timed exclusivity, but we know that we'll we'll get access to that at some point. There's, by all accounts, Spider-Man's never going to be available to Xbox players. Yeah, and look, like, I know that, you know, because, you know, Sony's relationship on Spider-Man, then they, I think, I believe still Sony... Did did Disney ever buy Spider-Man off Sony? I can't remember. No, so Sony owns the film rights, but they don't own exclusive game rights. Obviously, they have they developed, um, you know, Sp- Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With um, oh, who's the developer? Is it Sucker Punch? I'm thinking mm, someone else. No, no, no. I know who. I know. You know, it's on the tip of my tongue as well. Um. um we should. It's actually annoying. I'm just like <laughs> quickly checking yeah, Insom- Insomniac, I think. In- Insomniac, yeah. yeah. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Insomniac, um, Jesus. Yeah. So obviously that that was a that's a PlayStation exclusive. So that's different. But I mean, yes. Spider-Man's in. You know, like I believe he's in uh, Ultimate Alliance three and and things like that. It's just it's a real sour. It's a real sour taste in. I think the oh, mouth of anyone that had already pre-ordered the game as well. You know, it's not oh, just yeah, that's people, right. it's not just people that had already actually were planning to buy it. It's just, hey, I've already pre-ordered this game, and sometimes you may have actually put, spent the whole amount of money to pre-order as well. You don't, you know, yeah. It's, so, and yeah. in a lot of countries, you can't refund that. Like it, it's done at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's a it's a weird one, you know, because this game's also got this weird thing that you pre-order it then to get access to a quote-unquote beta version of it but it's not it's not really a beta version because you get to actually test it it's it's almost just a preview at that point yeah it's, it's just really weird like everything they're doing with this game is just odd to me the word and, the word beta like, at this point is is it's it's essentially a fancy demo you know yeah and it's becoming a marketing term but that's that's kind of the thing this game is almost you pay for the demo which is hmm. just bizarre and you know, I, I actually do sympathize on the whole uh, Spider-Man point. I mean, there's such a close relationship between Sony and Spider-Man, both in video games and films. Like, you know, for God's sakes, the original PlayStation 3 logo used the same font as Spider-Man's font from the movie. Like, it's literally the same font. So, you know, there's a real close relationship there, but 
this is not the way to announce it. This is not good marketing and this is not good PR. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be a struggle for the Avengers. I think that, you know, my view is that this game's going to bomb pretty hard. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do from, from the properties. I mean, there's a lot of other games in development like Spider-Man 2, so that will that will go fine. And uh, going on to a game that had a huge launch, but now I think is kind of hitting a bit of negative PR, Fall Guys. So launched with 1.5 million players on launch. And, you know, we were talking about scaling issues around the analog pocket. It's the same with software and gaming. It seems like they did not at all anticipate this game to be played by this many people. And it is really causing issues with this game. I... See, I don't see that much negativity about this game. Obviously, the issues are well-documented and out there, but I think it's being overshadowed by the fact that there's so many content creators and streamers playing this game that it's creating an air of, hey, this is this is like everyone should, you know, get into this and, you know, obviously they're still dealing with these issues, but I think it's being overshadowed. So I think, I don't think we'll see this have a long-term effect on the popularity of the game. Yeah, and I hope not. And I think they've responded very, very quickly. And I think the other good thing that they've done is they've been pretty open about it and sort of, you know, taking it. And I would follow the same approach as them. What what, what they actually did is they sort of said, you know, we're locking it down from new players. So if you've already registered to play Fall Guys, you can still play that, but you can't sort of register a new account on, on the servers for a period of time. And I think like that that's a really like fair way to do it. Um so then, you know, kind of you know, you're you're like encouraging people who are actually playing the game and, and sort of, you know, trying to get the experience right for them and then expanding it out. So it's yeah, it's already insanely popular. It's like one of the top five most played games on Steam already. It's, um, you know, in terms of live play accounts. It's pretty cool for me because you know, our first episode of the podcast, we talked about Devolverland Expo and, and their... Yeah. And this was one of the games they... I don't know if it was technically announced in that show, but it was shown there and it's like, oh, that could be neat. And you think... I think we even said at the time, you know, hopefully it's got, it keeps a community. And then they obviously... They had a really good strategy. They they went out to the streamers and YouTubers and then they did the big one which is putting it free on ps plus which just like rocket league means you're going to have a huge influx so i wonder if the ps plus thing was planned for a while or if it was more like oh no this is this this opportunity has come up this is huge and unfortunately they just didn't have the infrastructure to to allow for it at that point so it's kind of like (laughs) and by the way it's a good problem to have I think, you know... Well, it can be if you can get on top of it. It can be if you get on top of it and you're responsive and you have the right leadership. So the exact same thing happened to Rocket League. Like, they did it and they'd built everything and they sort of said, oh, this is how many people will get on it. And it was, like, five times more than their biggest, like, you know, wildest dream that they could ever imagine. And, you know, I've seen interviews with Psionics and they sort of said, like, they pretty much worked, like, almost around the clock. Like, they literally had people overnight working on stuff. Just to, you know, I think they rewrote the server back end in a week to be able to accommodate, like, more people and, you know, just the way that they actually distribute the players. Um, and, you know, like, I think the thing that we both mentioned last time was just, it's good to see, like, a quote-unquote battle royale game, but a different style rather than just, you know, I can't even recall of the name of that battle royale, battle royale game that looked a bit like Fortnite from either last week or the week prior, but... 
you know, this looks Hi- like a hell of a lot of fun. Hyperscape? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Like, this is the kind of game that I would actually go, hey, do you want to go play this? Because this is like a bit of a new experience and it looks, just looks like a laugh. You know, it looks really funny. Oh, yeah. Like, just- I've watched uh, one of my favorite uh, YouTubers watches, Grand Pooh Bear. Like, I love watching Mario Maker stuff and Mario, Mario World X. And he's got a lot of funny videos up there. And it's, it's the game looks absolutely awesome. So, if, yeah. I know it's obviously, I, I don't think it's, is it even available on Xbox? I don't think so. Um, no, I don't believe so. I think it's PC and PS4. For yeah. Memory. If, um, you know, if, if it was on, if it was on Xbox, I probably would have tried it by now because uh, it looks really, really fun. Yeah, it looks like heaps of fun. And it'd be really cool if you could just have, you know, like invite a community. Like if, you know, someone like, you know, Jim Sterling, if he was able to just go, hey, I want a hundred people from my community to play in one sort of, you know, game of it, like that kind of stuff is really, really cool. I mean, it might already have that. I don't, I don't think it does, but you know, it looks like a really cool game. I'm really looking forward to playing it actually. Hmm, cool. Now, moving on to Street Fighter Five, we've had an announcement and we've got the fifth and the final season of Street Fighter Five. Yeah. And, you know, they're adding in the ultimate troll character from the Street Fighter lineup, Dan. Uh, also, Rose, Oro, and Akira from Rival Schools. So, we did, did did you watch all of the presentation? Because you had the director and the producer. Yeah, yeah, I, I watched this, and uh, Rose Rose was kind of heavily rumored um, from the mm. Alpha series. She was last in Street Fighter Four. Oro, the last time you could play as Oro was in Street Fighter Three Third Strike, but he was in the story of Street Fighter Five, so he was already kind of you know he'd been brought back in that capacity. But very unexpected, I'd say. But even more unexpected, yeah, as he said, was Akira from Rival Schools. And this is the first mm. time we've seen... Like, Rival Schools characters have been in the backgrounds of Street Fighter stages, but haven't really been in the forefront for a long time. And the Rival Schools games are very, um, very loved. And they're brilliant games. Oh, yeah. I, used to, I used to play the first one on uh, arcade all the time. And it's such a shame they haven't made any more because they had really cool systems to them. And they've even hinted that potentially some of those systems would be used for this character, I guess, as part of the V trigger moves and things like that. And it brings the total of characters to 45, which is actually the highest in any Street Fighter game ever. Well, one more than Ultra Street Fighter 4, at least. <laughs> which feels very much on purpose that they've just gone, oh, we're going to get up to 45 so we can yeah. literally say it's the most ever. <laughs> but uh, people didn't think, like they announced that there was a last season a little while back. Um, people weren't expecting it at all. They thought that when they'd introduced Seth as the last character in season four, that that was kind of the, you know, the cherry on the, on on the the cake and that would have made sense but you know things change and i think they want to close off with um you know this season five and make sense street fighter v season v um and yeah it's mm. it's i think uh, it's really cool and it's great that they bring back these uh, beloved characters for fans yeah and no, you know the thing for me that i'm always fascinated to know is you know, Street Fighter Five and Rocket League were both two games, and they were going to be, I think, regarded in the future as the first two games to be part of the Olympics. So there was going to be an Intel Cup leading up to the Olympics, so literally the final week before the Olympics started. Obviously, the Olympics has been postponed by a year to 2021. And yeah, these two games were going to kind of happen at the same time. So, you know, roughly around this time, maybe a few weeks ago. And 
I just wonder, a lot of the announcements for these games, so you've had a huge announcement for Rocket League and then, you know, really large announcements for Street Fighter V, the final season, probably an extra season when people didn't expect it. I kind of just wonder if they had this in the cooker for a long time and sort of said, you know, hey, this is what we were going to do, but, you know, given that the Olympics have been pushed back, let's just proceed ahead with the plan anyway. Because just the timing just seems so interesting that both of them have sort of been around the same time where they've had major announcements. Yeah, and as part of this as well, um, it wasn't in this video, I don't believe, um, which is weird to me, but apparently there's also a two-week free-to-play version being available, um, as I said, from August the 5th, so that should be from now. So I think you get access to all the characters. So it's like... Oh, really? All the characters? I believe so. So it's, um, yeah, I'd go give it a shot if, if that's the case. Um, one thing I'll also say about this is that they had some really cool tie-ins with AEW, so All Elite Wrestling, who is a, you know, TNT's huge new promotion, which is... And Kenny Omega is, was in the video announcing Rose, and he's been involved in a lot of Capcom Street Fighter uh, events in the past. He's a huge fan. I mean, he do, even does a Hadouken as part of his moveset, so it's pretty cool. And, yeah, it's just really... I think it's really great um, what they've done. They've, they've turned Street Fighter Five around from being, uh, you know, a bit of a... A very, very rough launch to being a, a complete package at the end of it. So good on Capcom. Yeah. Yeah, and, and regarded as one of the better Street Fighters overall, I think, as well, like in terms of the community, the FGC community. So, yeah, no, it's it's And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see when they announce Street Fighter Six. Like, it feels like that that's going to be in line with the next gen. And, you know, I, I think we've already mentioned this and, you know, we're interested in the whole FGC stuff, but you know, whether the Sony PlayStation 5 will be the native place where people play these type of games because it sort of has developed like that for um, for this gen. So, you know, I-, I wonder if, you know, they're going to be vying for that or they'll just let it go and we'll see which one sort of dominates in that space. Yeah, I think it's a safe bet to always, to you know, to bet on PlayStation in that regards, but we'll see. But the, yeah, the Japanese developers. Um, you know, in, in sort of, you know, further esports style news or like competitive news to some degree, uh, Ninja and the Dock, they've, uh, you know, returned to their original respective platforms. So Ninja obviously was on Mixer and Mixer had been closed down. He has, it seems like he's gone back to Twitch. They've reactivated his channel. So they did deactivate his channel. I think he had like 14 point something million followers on Twitch and he has been reactivated on Twitch and he's already gone past 15 million. Uh, so he hasn't lost anyone. He's actually gained people. And then on the other hand, Dr. Disrespect, who has been banned from Twitch, it still hasn't come to the public light as to why. And there's not been an announcement by Twitch itself. Uh, he had, I think it gone on from memory, uh, Facebook gaming maybe. And you know, now he's, uh, like really pushed hard onto YouTube itself and had this huge mega stream. He had the stream open for, it was like 20 something hours and people were joining on and nothing was happening in the stream. And then, yeah, he came live at some point on, uh, on that stream. And it was quite funny, actually. I don't know if you've seen the clip from it yet. So I haven't, but either of these, have you watched, (laughs) have you watched these streamers? I've just got to say, it just goes to show the cult of personality that, that you can build up when you have a stream of what's essentially a splash screen for 24 <laughs> hours and you get probably 
15,000 people signing up to a $5 subscription from a splash screen. That's, that is <laughs> insane to me. Um, look, I don't, I don't watch a lot of streams and I definitely don't watch a lot of, um, Fortnite streams in regards to Ninja. Dr. Disrespect <laughs> is much more probably stuff I'd be interested in, but of course, you know, like he's had his issues. Um, but generally I, I watch streamers more so in, uh, either VOD content or, um, the edited content they put up on YouTube. So I mentioned before, you know, I watch a lot of like Mario Maker and and, uh, yeah. and things like that. But I generally watch all that stuff, um, highlights videos and things. Um, it's it's just still interesting to me how these... Like, Dr. Disrespect, I can understand because he's a crafted character, but I just don't understand the whole ninja thing. I'm sure that he's super fun to watch, um, but it's just... I, it's hard for me to understand. It really is. Yeah, and like I think one thing that we should call out is being in Australia, we are out of the time zones that because you know streaming live is the predominant form of of the media. And you're right, like people do consume it as vods, but I think a lot more people actually tune in live to to watch the streams and like jump in and out of them. But it's kind of not in our time zone, so I haven't watched a lot of Ninja or Doctor Disrespect. From a Ninja perspective, I've like zero interest in watching Ninja. But actually, I've watched like maybe all up an hour or two of Dr. Disrespect. It might have been on when I was at home at one time and I've just flicked it on. He's actually a highly entertaining guy. He's quite, uh, you know, and I know this is not a popular opinion to actually say I don't mind watching him because I know he's kind of a bit of a divisive figure in the community. But I don't know. I was sort of tuned into his content. I thought it's kind of funny. Like, uh, you know, his, his whole shtick is amusing to me. It's super cheesy, but, you know, he, I feel like he pulls it off. Um, and I actually listen to his song. I actually think his song's not even that bad. <laughs> like, it's not one that you just like listen to and you go, oh, I'm going to turn this off straight away. I just had it on in the background. I'm like, ah, it's, you know, cheesy as hell, I, but it's, it, it's fine. I love synthwave. So anything that has, uh, basically sounds like it's off the drive soundtrack is, is cool to me. Yeah. And so you heard it. You didn't think it was too bad either. That was good. Yeah. No. So it will keep an eye on what's happening there. He did get on the stream and sort of say he doesn't know why he got banned. So it's kind of interesting, actually. It doesn't seem like it's a specific thing that he has been told why he's been banned. I was, I was reading. Take his word for it. I was reading something at the moment, and I think he's really pushing people to let let the legal process play out because there's like he signed a huge deal with you know Twitch and things. So I think that he wants to make sure that he's also not going to hamstring... Jeopardising. Yeah, jeopardise his... Yeah, for sure. He's signed a huge deal, and it, it from everything it sounds like, that they've terminated the deal. That's what it sounds like from what he's saying. So that's like a lot of money that he's lost out. So, yeah, I think that, you know, we'll obviously hear more news about that because that's going to be settled one way or the other, probably out of court. But, yeah, it would definitely be settled. Now, in very strange news to me, this is very odd, and I feel like PlayStation in general has done a really good job in the lead-up to PlayStation 5, just from, you know, the generic buzz around the both companies and their presentations, but this news, and actually just, you know, for, for uh, you know, just putting it out there for transparency, you actually told me about this news, and I wish I'd actually recorded my reaction. I was just like, like what? What are you saying? So I specifically said this news in a certain way to emphasize trying to get a reaction from you. Yeah, but it's true. Like, uh, you know, and if I remember correctly, you're like, the DualShock 4 is compatible with the PlayStation 5, but won't work with PlayStation 5 games. 
And then I was just like, wait, 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 what? what? <laughs> the PlayStation DualShock 4 works on the PlayStation 5, but won't work with its games. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is so odd. Why have they done this? This is so, so odd. At this point, like, why even just talk about it? Just kind of when, or at least before you, I think the way you talk about this, you talk about this together when you talk about any kind of backwards compatibility with those games. You know, like you, you package the, that those pieces of info together so it makes sense. Fractured like this just, yeah, I think it just causes confusion. So the their, their specific quote, PS5 games should take advantage of the new capabilities and features we're bringing to the platform, including features of DualSense wireless, wireless controller, right? I... That that is understandable if there's specific things, and I don't know if there's anything specific around like the haptic feedback and things like that that they want to make sure is you know always I guess part of the experience. But to me, that's always that's a nice to have. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I don't honestly. I'm cool with it's it's great if an old controller can work with new with a newer console, but it's generally never worked like that in the past. So it's it's almost like they've created bad news for themselves out of something that most people would expect not to even be the case. It's so weird. Like and it also doesn't make sense to me because my understanding is, you know, generally with PlayStation and my experience with it is like the con the controllers don't work from the generation to generation, generally. Yeah. So it's always kind of like you've gone, oh, okay, you've got to get a new one and with Xbox they've been pretty good about trying to do as much as possible to make things work across generations. Well, but with this change, I mean, you can't use a 360 controller natively on an Xbox One. You have to get a converter for it. So it's oh, really okay. this only this new generation that that's the case. And mm. Nintendo's had a bit of a weird stuff. You know, you, had, you could plug game controllers into the first version of the Wii, but, you know, the subsequent versions you couldn't. But generally speaking, Nintendo is the same. You can't use old controllers with previous ones. And the, I know you could use the Wii Mote with the Wii U. The whole Wii, Wii U time period was really weird with that stuff. But, you know, you couldn't use a you couldn't use a Super Nintendo controller on the 64. It wouldn't make sense. With with this, yeah. it just, like, they their approach to backwards compatibility is already so, like, they've oh, not said so enough weird. about it. It's so weird. Just why even bother? The one cool thing is they've said that their officially licensed specialty controls like steering wheels will work. To me, that's that's great. Because, and arcade sticks. And arcade, and arcade sticks. Yeah, because, that's a big one. That's a big one. Because they're the things that you, you don't want to keep having to buy. Whereas a controller, Agreed. you kind of want the new controller. You know, as long as you, it's I, good. I, I, I like having <laughs> the new controller console because, it's, hey, I'm playing this new console, you know? I totally agree. And like, I almost agree hundred percent with what you're saying. Like, cause I, I've been debating a lot around buying an arcade stick and I've been kind of putting it off because I'm like, oh, is this going to work on the next gen? What does that mean? I'll just hold off. So I'm glad that that part's confirmed, but I agree. Like they should have released this in the sense of not saying anything about DualShock 4 working on PlayStation 5. They should have never said that. And at some point they have to talk about backwards compatibility and how it's going to work and then at that time, they could have said, oh, and by the way, just for PlayStation 4 games with backwards compatibility, you can actually use your DualShock 4 controller if you want, but it works with the PlayStation DualSense. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. And if like that, that makes so much more sense. If the PS5 didn't have the touchpad in the center, this would make even more sense because, like, well, we're allowing you to use the PS4 because for games that require the touchpad, like Tearaway, things like that, 
you've oh actually was Terraway anyway I can't remember if that was Vita or PS4 but anyway games that require the touchpad that would make sense but it's there on the new controller so it's like it's it's super strange to me um and i think they they need to really clarify like we understand now because we've we've gone and read the, the articles but the general consumer needs to kind of it needs to be i guess communicated to them in a way that makes sense can you play your old ps4 games kind of but here's what the deal is can i use my old controller with those games yes you know, like it's it, to me that part is pretty simple, but they need to they need to announce what they're doing backwards compatibility to to make that picture clear. So, mm. yeah, I, th- that that is the one question I have around the PS Five. But I must admit, like to me, I do just accept that it won't be able to play PlayStation Four games. Now, it probably will be able to play PlayStation Four games, but I don't know. I just don't look at it as having the same reliability with those kind of things as the Xbox has demonstrated historically. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really juicy when they do talk about backwards compatibility, because I feel like if this is the kind of stuff that they're already doing, like back, backwards compatibility, it's going to be super, super dicey. Um, now, like there's no natural segue between these two things, I don't believe, but Stardew Valley. So there's a 1.5 update. And do you know what the significant new piece of endgame content is? <laughs> so... No, uh, nobody knows. The, all they know is that there's a uh, there's a there's a door in the back of Willie's shack now. The, the guy that sells all the fish stuff, which is funny to me. Like concern, uh, concerned ape, the developer behind uh, Stardew. Yeah, he he's fantastic. Like the oh, he's such a good guy. This, hey? this game came out you know years ago, sold ten million copies now, and he's still supporting. It. He wants to move on to you know new projects soon, but. It's the reason I want to talk about this is not only is adding bananas, which is cool, but I'm I'm a huge fan of Stardew Valley, um, but I haven't played it since uh, I'd say probably the era when it was first ported Switch, and I was playing it on Xbox at the time, so kind of that era. Um, yeah, I've never tried it multiplayer, which I'd like to try at some point. But I just wanted to just you know give props to this guy for just supporting this game, um, and essentially, while you know you can say oh it's a Harvest Moon clone, it's it's no. no, no. Well, it is a Harvest Moon clone, but no, it's inspired by Harvest Moon. This is. I, I think that's really unfair to say it's a Harvest <laughs> no, Moon. No, you got to let me finish my sentence. It is okay, a sorry, Harvest sorry, Moon sorry. clone, but it's a damn good one, and it introduces really cool elements to it. Um, obviously, a lot of those elements were also in uh, the Rune Factory games and the later Harvest Moon games. But it's like, well, sure, it's basically Harvest Moon, but it's a really great version of it, and. I'd say better than what, um, you know, SNES Harvest Moon is still my favorite Harvest Moon that I've played, but it's, you know, it's it's just an awesome game and just really glad that it's still getting supported. And I think it did need more endgame content. Um, so I think that's really, really cool. Hmm. And I'm going to defend him because I don't think it's a clone of Harvest Moon. Like <laughs> what I, <laughs> no, I know you're joking, but I like to think of these type of games as imagine the world if the 64 and PlayStation never happened where we transitioned to 3D games. What would the world look like if 2D games continued on but you had advanced technology? Because this game doesn't look just like a game that could run on the Super Nintendo, but it kind of looks like a Super Nintendo 2 game, if that makes any sense of what I'm saying. And I, I just feel like it's a it's kind of like this is what the sequel to Harvest Moon would have looked like if the Nintendo 64 was a 
2D console rather than a 3D console. And I, I just, you know, I kind of feel like he's, you know, gone deep on it and really, you know, gone really nuts with the systems that are available. And yeah, it's a great game. I love it. Like, actually, I mean, again, those, it's one of the few games. Sorry, a lot of those systems are in Halfspring games, though. It's Harvest Moon. Uh, what? Sorry? A lot of those games, like, we're not just talking SNES Harvest Moon. We're talking all the Harvest Moons and one on sure, PlayStation. Sure. A Wonderful Life, the 64 and stuff. It's, but I don't want the, that's not a negative thing. It's just, sure. it, to me, it's like, it's the perfect evolution of, of Harvest Moon. Uh, well, that's much nicer. I think clone <laughs> is almost like, it's a, it's a real negative term in the industry now. See, I've never you know? thought of, like, to me, I still, like, the whole, I grew up Doom clone, you know, like. Yes, right, correct. I know, but we're old. Rise we're of the old. Triad is <laughs> a Doom clone. That's not a negative thing. It's just, it, <laughs> it defines what, you know what people, it plays like Doom, you know, it plays like Harvest Moon. <laughs> I like this Rise of the Triad. You're really trying hard for that 38 plus demographic. Hey, someone out there that's listening to this thing will be like, oh, hell yeah, Rise of the Triad was awesome, man. Woo! I can see their eyeballs <laughs> flying through the air when I blew them up. <laughs> Uh, and just yeah i don't know if you mentioned it but it sold uh 10 million copies which oh you did mention it but yeah that's incredible this guy has literally been minted from this game and so he should be he worked really hard on it um it was actually covered in jason schreier's book uh blood sweat and pixels uh and it's really interesting just to hear the story about basically his missus uh looked after him and paid for everything and for this game that he's never really made that many games and it was like this five-year journey. And then now it's this, this mega success. Just stuff that you almost never hear about, right? And you, you always hear those kids saying, oh, I want to be an actor. And you just go, oh, that's never going to happen. But, you know, he has made it. And, you know, I wish him the best. And I'm actually really interested to see what his next title is. In other news, Smash Brothers Ultimate 8.1 update. Very minor update. I did want to mention it. Because, you know, we're both big fans of Smash Brothers. Uh, and the thing that was really interesting to me was that they've actually... Like, so they've included a small battlefield. But that they've also, also changed the way that the actual online works. So they've actually... Um, they've increased the tick rate of one-on-one -on -one battles. So it, it used to run at basically 30 refreshes. So it's checking... 30 times every second what your inputs <clears> are, <throat> and now it's going up to 60 times a second. So people have already reported that the online seems a little bit better in a one-on-one -on -one sense. But I, I guess the reason why I wanted to mention this and sort of get into it a little bit is just that I think that this actually tells me that they're not going to do anything more extravagant with the online smash, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, e.g., e they're not going to go and do some kind of rollback netcode or anything like that. This is the limit of what we're going to see from this. And I'll just say this, this, this is important information about the improvements to the online that was... We got all this information from Nintendo's detailed patch notes about this, didn't we? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that that one-liner, some improvements have been made to the online experience. That's it. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, actually, in, in defense of them, uh, Sakurai actually did say that you he said something along the lines of you you might want to check uh the one-on-one -on -one battle and see you know what it's like or something like that it was like really cryptic but that, and then, but yeah, that so wasn't in were, like the patch notes though <laughs> like you have to no he wrote it in japanese <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> he wrote it in japanese so it was like people were like okay 
we've got to look at the one-on-one battle and see see what's going on here. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I yeah, I think they they could have been a lot clearer about you know what like what are they even talking about in terms of the patch notes or you know yes we've made improvements to one-on-one battles and that's probably as far as they need to go. But I, I guess my overriding point is I think given that they are you know really just looking at doing tweaks to the way multiplayer works they simultaneously are admitting that it's not great but then also kind of indicating to me that they're not going to do anything about this unfortunately like i i just can't see them going off in you know putting in rollback net code into smash brothers ultimate but i do pray and hope that it's a bit of a wake-up call to them and and they do, you know, in the next version of Smash Brothers, maybe not even on the Switch, but the next gen console for Nintendo, that they actually do have something more like a rollback netcode in um in Smash Brothers. But was there anything else? Oh, and yeah, just the other one is that Elite Smash, before it was uh the top three point five percent of people could get into Elite Smash, now it's been changed to the top ten uh sorry, top five percent. So it's a lot easier to get into Elite Smash as well. It's probably uh helpful for you, Swinny. Yeah, it's it's I think I had some characters on the precipice of that, so we'll see whether or not I can get them in there finally. Yeah, it, yeah, it's decreased by a couple of hundred thousand, so maybe. In further Nintendo news, um, they actually released their quarterly fiscal report uh, for the first part of the financial year for them. Probably big things I just wanted to call out that uh, they had a, just an absolute bumper in terms of sales. So in terms of profits themselves it it basically doubled in in that year-on-year period so just super indicates two things you know from a covid perspective people are just buying these games like crazy and that animal crossing is just absolutely dominating um from that space and now uh, the nintendo switch is at 61 million uh sales worldwide and you know by this stage even it's probably past the nes so it's, it's you know, I, I kind of wanted to raise this just to, you know, get the answer from you or just what your thoughts are. Do you think that the Switch will go on to be a 100 plus million seller? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me because they, they've still got a couple of big hitters left. Now, nothing probably of the level of Animal Crossing because I don't think your Breath of the Wild 2 is probably going to be that huge for that. But it wouldn't surprise me, although they have kind of used a lot of their aces at this point. You know, Metroid Prime Four is not going to not going to move that amount of switches. Um, so it'll be interesting, but it's it just goes to show that you know never never I guess underestimate Nintendo. You know, yes. everyone was kind of like, "Oh, the Switch, we'll see how it goes," and everything when you know the Wii U didn't go so great and just look at it now it's been it's one of their top three consoles probably of all time at this point so yeah I think uh, you know every five years people talk about the demise of Nintendo and it's a company that's been around for 130 years I I think the company is like really built to last like in a in a very long sense not a short-term sense at all it's a 20-30 year kind of direction that they have with these things you know, I'll go on the record to say I think that they will get past the hundred million because I really feel like with this whole COVID situation, it's a bit like what happened with the GFC, where you know the GFC kind of delayed people 
in either getting a new console or extended the generation. Now, that hasn't impacted Xbox and PlayStation because they're already on their way to release a new generation. But I think if it was any earlier, they probably wouldn't have gone down the path to create another generation. Whereas I think Nintendo, given it's kind of happened now in the three-year mark for them, they'll release like a Switch Pro and I just think that that will carry them. Mm. And I, I don't even think it's a game thing. I think it's just, a, you know, I'm hearing people I never expected to buy a console. And they're sort of like, hey, I've got a Nintendo Switch. I was just like, wow, really? Like, you're not even into gaming. Like, what's going on here? Um, I just hope if they, and, do, if they do make Switch Pro that they, they put a proper D-pad on the Joy-Con. I just really hope they do <laughs> oh, that. So, what I would, like, the number one thing I'd want, even more than a Switch Pro, would be for them to release pro Joy-Cons or Pro-Cons or whatever they want to call them. Like if they release like higher quality analog sticks and like a D-pad, man, I'd, I'd honestly, if that was like $199, I probably would still buy it. I mean, there are some, <laughs> like as as there are some third-party options out there that aren't too bad though, from what I've heard. With, with yeah, I've got the Hori D-pad one. And like I do that when I play Mario Maker on the go. And it's really good. Where I just don't like the uh, the analog sticks. I find them to be way too, like they're just not very precise for me. Like, and I'm not the best gamer, so I kind of need to remove as many disadvantages as are, possible. Are they um, are they taller? Because from I've had other Hori um, controls before, and they always make the analog stick like taller than the standard. Is that the case with the Joy-Con ones as well? It's imperceptible to me. Okay. It's pretty similar. So I find the analog stick to be slightly worse on the Hori, but obviously with the D-pad, it's like hell of a lot better, but it's only slightly worse for me personally, the Hori analog stick, but it's not, it's not like terrible, but you know, just to call out, there's a lot of features that the Hori stick doesn't have or the Joy-Con, like it doesn't, you know, you can't use it wirelessly. There's like a whole host of things you can't do with it. So that's a bit of a bummer, but, and you know, just as you talked about Metroid not being... Uh, a big system seller it was interesting to see and quite sad for me as a big metroid fan that animal crossing new horizon is already the second most selling game on the switch with 22 million copies but it's also outsold the entire library of metroid so every metroid game combined Hmm. has sold less than animal crossing new horizon which is just incredible yeah and it doesn't surprise me at all metroid's always been it's it's not a cult classic, but it's kind of like if Nintendo, Nintendo had a cult classic upon uh, out within their big IPs, it's the cult classic of their big IPs, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, why don't we get into the bargain bin? Um, so it's a segment where we always go through any of uh, the really key sales. So these are sales that, you know, Swinney and I would jump on. Um, and then certainly wherever there's free games available, so we'll start with the Epic Game Store, given that they usually do a weekly uh, free game. So this week, and you can jump on these uh, at the time of publishing, they'll still be available up to Thursday the 13th of August. 3 out of 10, episode 1, welcome to Shovelwork. So that wasn't mentioned last week because we didn't know about it at the time, but that has been released as a free sort of episode 1. And Wilmot's Warehouse, which I have installed and started playing around with, which is a really cool puzzle game. I'm trying to get my wife into it, but I think she thinks that the systems are a bit too full on. Um, And then in terms of next week, Remnant from the Ashes, and I can see a note from Swinney in our show notes, probably won't repeat on air, but you're interested in this game, Swinney? Oh, I've 
played this game a lot. So I'm not ah. interested. Well, I'm interested in it, but Remnant from the Ashes is fantastic. Um, nice. And nice. it's it's one of the most criminally under underrated games probably the last five years, I reckon. It's, yeah, just the fact that giving it away for free and there's new DLC for it that I haven't sunk my teeth into. Um, if you're going to play that game, um, play it co-op. It's way better. Um, it can be very overbearing and very difficult by yourself. Um, it's essentially... You're going to laugh about this, but it's no joke. It's basically like a Dark Souls shooter. Um, it's taken so many of the systems of Dark Souls and worked it into a third-person shooter um, in terms of like respawning enemies and just a lot of the, I guess, the design of the game. But it's fantastic. Um, can't remember the developers of Remnant, but um, who we are, because I just want to make sure that we've got this right. Remnant from the Ashes is made by... Gunfire Games, so they're the, the the people. Gunfire Games is a new development studio that um, was put together by a lot of the Darksiders uh, devs. So I talked about my love for Darksiders before. Remnant from the Ashes is is just as good as, if not better, than Darksiders games. So oh, nice. it's for free. Give it a shot. It's great. Well, you, you should uh, get it on Epic as well, because then at some point maybe we both can just play it in co-op. Because I'll, I'll definitely get a copy of it on Epic Game Store. Yeah, what's really funny, actually, is that I was playing this through with with my mate, and we were joking that at some point we should try a permadeath uh, run to see how far we can get. Because oh, yeah. the game's pretty tough um, with, without dying, and then when we die, that's it. And they actually patched that in as a mode in uh, later on, so you can actually do permadeath oh, cool. now or survival mode. Or whatever, so. I love I love how those things get patched in. That's that's really cool. And the other game that's free next week is Alto Adventure. So very um, popular uh, iOS and Android game, Alto's Adventure, and then Alto's Odyssey. So these will be free. A lot of people are getting really upset about these games being available. You know, again, they're free. These ones, um, and you know, you don't have to buy it after it's launched. I think it's going to be like ten dollars or something even higher than that. But you know, I think that these games work a lot better on the mobile, but it's free, so I'll probably download it and, and give it a try as well. And just finally, just on Epic, just a reminder that uh, Total War Saga Troy will be free for the first 24 hours that it's launched on Thursday, the 13th of August. So you definitely want to jump on the Epic Game Store at that point and pick that up because that's like a full-on AAA game that is going to be free on the Epic Game Store. So that's pretty cool. Um, just on the Humble Store, so we're still on PC, uh, F1 2018 is still free. So at the time of publishing, if you hear this, you can still grab it. So jump on Humble Store. It's up to uh, Monday the 10th of August, 1 p.m. Pacific time. And then Sydney slash Melbourne time, it's Tuesday the 11th of August, uh, 6 a.m. So just grab it like uh, Sunday, Monday when we publish. And just a reminder, whenever you see these Humble Store games, they're actually, you need to get them and then activate them on steam. So the activation code actually runs out if you don't activate them on steam. So you don't need to download it, but you do need to activate it on steam to, to retain it. Um, nothing really from a switch point of view, there is a sale going on in Japan on a few games and it might come out to Australia and the U S but we'll keep an eye on that. Similar to PlayStation plus, you know, just a quick reminder, you might want to jump on and grab fall guys cause that is free and it seems very, very popular. So you know, it, it's going to probably go down exactly what Swinney was saying as being one of those games like Rocket League where a whole host of people grabbed it for free at the time and, you know, it's really good investment of time and a really good use of the PlayStation Plus membership. 
And then finally, Swinny, I'll let you cover the Xbox Game Pass games. Yeah, so we got our update uh, for this month for Game Pass. So we've got seven games in total being added. So on August 6th, six games added. Um, for So we've got Darksiders Genesis, Dark Pictures Anthology, Man of, Man of Medan. Uh, it, the, both of those are just on Xbox One. Then on Xbox One and PC, we've got It Lurks Below, Trail Makers, Undermine and Xeno Crisis. So I'm honestly not familiar with those last four. Uh, the first two are mm. uh, well-known games, Dark Souls Genesis. So I'm looking forward to actually playing finally, um, although I haven't played Dark Souls 3 yet. So I have to look at whether or not uh, narratively it follows on or if it's a standalone thing. If so, then I'll just play Dark Souls Genesis. Um, and then the one more added on the August 13th is Final Fantasy VII, which is being uh, so good. available on Xbox One and PC. And I will say I recently played through that uh, HD port, and it's it's pretty good. Um, there's obviously only so much they can do with the pre-rendered backgrounds, but um, it runs really nicely, and it's got the assists if you just kind of want to power through it and not have to worry too much. So, yeah, it's good to have that uh, available on Game Pass. And then we've got... And this, this is the remake, right? No, it's not the remake. <laughs> it's not the remake. <laughs> And, and and I will say though that this is a part of um, the announcement that they had. I think it was last year that a whole host of Final Fantasy games were coming out to Game Pass oh, in 2020. No, I was so wrapped. Oh no, sorry, yeah. sorry. The Game Pass one is separate. When they announced they were all coming to Xbox, I was so wrapped. Yes, was, I remember that. Oh, yeah. I was over the moon, and I've completed nearly every single one in that announcement already. <laughs> Um, can i just say again for a reminder of people listening that you're a massive achievement hunter and you also love rpg games and yet have an xbox which i think is weird given that you love rpgs but the fact that they've brought all these games that you love so much across is just like heaven for you i just <laughs> i just wish they'd put um the basically final fantasies before uh seven onto it that'd be so cool but well i'd love to see final fantasy 6 remade yeah. into like an octopath style game oh, I, that would be my jam i don't even care about the remake just port them come on give it to me now. yeah true I, true I i i can obviously play them at any time but i kind of want i i, I want to get achievements in life. i want to drive you know to get me to replay because I've, I've played through all those games with the exception of five and three uh no five and two before so uh anyway so we've also got five games leaving on August 15th. Uh, some of these are some big names as well. So we've got Kingdom, mm. Kingdom Come Deliverance on Xbox One and PC. So I had that installed. Sorry, I own I own it on Xbox One, but it's a shame it's leaving PC as well because now I'll have to buy it when I want to actually go through those. Um, Devil May Cry 5 on Xbox One's leaving. Yoku's Island Express is leaving Xbox One and PC, which is a great game if you've never played it. So, oh, it's such a good yeah, game. It's like a pinball platformer kind of thing. Uh, Space, Hulk, Space Hulk Tactics, uh, so I guess it's Warhammer on PC is leaving, and Where the Water Tastes Like Wine on PC, which is a neat uh, adventure narrative style game that I've I've heard a lot about. So those games are leaving. So yeah, that's your update for Game Pass. Nice. Now getting into our special feature, uh, first one is on Analog Pocket, and the next one will be our game of some other year. Uh, so with the Analog Pocket, I. Like, it just probably just to indulge me a little bit. Uh, so what I want to talk about is trying to make a case for the fact that I think, and not necessarily that I think that this would happen, but just kind of like, hypothetically, could the analog pocket sell a million units? Now, you know, we don't know how many were actually sold, you know, just devising from sort of crowdsourced data seems to be 10,000, 12,000 orders 
on their site and, you know, anything from the minimum of one all the way up to, you know, two to four, whatever that number is on the max that you could buy per person purchase. It's probably, you know, of the order of 15,000 uh, units that were sold out within eight minutes. And I think, you know, if you heard our segment earlier, Sweeney did make the good point that it probably would have sold out a lot quicker um, if the shopping uh, Shopify system worked uh, a little bit better. Because for me, like it actually legitimately took me a bit of time to just get through it and, you know, actually waiting for that shipping to pop. Um, so I was actually thinking about this at the time after it sold out and just thinking through, you know, how would you even work out, you know, how many people would buy it? Because, you know, just listening to people talk about the pocket and, you know, wanting to buy it, but not getting it, they're actually, a lot of people have just viewed it as a product that you could just buy anytime. So you had to pre-order it, but essentially it's a, make to pre-order so however many pre-orders they get at some stage they'll say they're going to close the pre-order and then they'll go off and make that many units which is not what analog has historically done but you know i can understand why this is why people would think about it so where i got to was thinking about what are other big products out there that people kind of think about as a product that they can order that that is a big pre-order that has like you know, a lot of sort of, you know, delay in when it's going to come out. Um, but, you know, maybe there's a bit of data out there for it. And what I stumbled on was the Tesla Cybertruck. Now, with the Tesla Cybertruck, similar in terms of, you know, highly popular, people are really interested in it. Um, and then they also had a very early pre-order with a long shipping date. So then I'm like, okay, well, how do I get more information? Because Elon Musk did publish you know, how many were sold and, you know, how many people bought. But then I stumbled on, there's actually a crowdfunded site, or sorry, a crowdsourced site where people volunteer to put um, their pre-orders, like when they bought it, like the time, and then what reservation number that they actually have for the Cybertruck. Now we do like, we're primarily a audio podcast, but we're also on YouTube and you can search for us at Big Week in Gaming and I've actually pulled out the data for this. And you can see that if you're looking at the whole curve for the Cybertruck, it's very, very steep at the start, but it's steep over the course of about a month. So from when it launched to about one month after it launched, they had around 400,000 reservations. And then from that point on, over the course of the year-ish, almost a year when it got announced, it's just been a steady incline and it's already up to uh, over 700,000 pre-orders for the Cybertruck and it's well on its way to go past that. So it's like, number one, it's a super fascinating look into human behavior and from a marketing point of view is, you know, how many pre-orders would you anticipate getting on a product like this that will get delivered much later, has a high demand, but then also, you know, there is an element of people wanting to get in early because if you get in earlier, you're likely to get it you know, submitted to you earlier. Are you still with me, Sweeney? Yeah. In this uh, I've, I've, hypothetical thought I've, pattern? I've got one very big question. Is <laughs> Okay. Was the, okay. Well, was the yeah, analog, go, go, go with the question now. Was the analog pocket um, shown on in an expo on stage and then someone attempted to like smash the screen with a baseball bat? so okay i think uh for the purposes of our youtube channel we'll need to get a thumbnail 
with the analog pocket being the, the shot put ball that's thrown into the window. Oh, was it a shot <laughs> cracking ball? The window. I thought it was a baseball bat. <laughs> no, it was like a steel ball. It was like a steel ball that they had. So I'll, I'll Photoshop the pocket <laughs> as the steel ball smashing the window. And then I'll put something about Shopify shipping <laughs> in the background to be their event. Um, yeah, so like, you know, you can kind of see there is a curve. It's like very steep at the start and then it really like almost flat lines. And it's picking up again, actually, as you're getting closer to when they're actually shipping the Cybertrucks. So then I was just looking deeper in the data and actually looking at the launch window. And this was, to me, really, really interesting. And, you know, I'm a math head and I love maths. If you actually look at the shipping data, uh, sorry, the crowd-sourced reservation data, there's a really, like, clear trend that, you know, that there was a certain day and time when it launched. And essentially, they got, you know, anywhere between 10,000 and 20,000 orders almost instantly of the Cybertruck. And then it's almost a straight line as the 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 relationship between time and the actual reservation number it just goes up like a straight line and there's all this like you know junky data around because this is crowdsourced data it's not like actual data from tesla but you can see there's a strong correlation from a line of time of when the actual um thing was announced and the actual moment of like when the reservations actually came through so sorry so, i'm just looking at this so you got like june 2020 july 2020 right so this is yeah. this this graph here is uh, Cybertruck data, right? So yeah, who in the middle of pandemic is thinking? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pre-order or reserve a Cybertruck in the middle of a pandemic. It's just like hey. one of the weirdest <laughs> things to to me to like <laughs> prioritize at that point. Like, wouldn't you? Ah, oh, it's just it's amazing how consumers <laughs> work, isn't it? I know it really is, and it's it's almost like picked up in pace since the pandemic like yeah you like to your point if you actually look at the graph and you can find it online if you just search for Cybertruck uh crowdsourced data that yeah when the pandemic really kind of like hit hard in america in particular it like you know more like the may june period of time the reservation numbers actually went up not down so, um, so basically maybe Cybertruck is essential shop essential shopping at that point isn't it <laughs> well it's all online so yeah it's definitely essential shopping online so yeah just like kind of looking at it and then going you know what like the launch of the pocket is kind of like of the same order of numbers as what happened with the Cybertruck in that very short window and the only other data that i had that was like something comparable maybe is the 500 million or not anniversary but the 500 million celebration version of the ps4 where they said that it's only going to have 50,000 copies and it pretty much sold out instantly so i I just kind of look at this and go is there a case you know it's selling at a rate that is pretty comparable to the cybertruck when that got announced and it's definitely not of the order of magnitude in terms of cost right cybertruck is you know in the u.s like a forty thousand dollar car whereas the pocket's obviously a 200 dollar us dollar um device handheld device it it kind of conformed with the behavior of you know the launch window of the cybertruck and yeah i kind of look at it and go oh man i wonder what would happen if if they just had unlimited numbers of of how many of these things they could actually sell and just looking at it and kind of extrapolating out you go well maybe it would be on course for a million million unit seller which would be insane although, for a company that probably has a dozen people although surely the potential market for 
automotive purchases versus very niche <laughs> retro handhelds is on a very different scale. Yeah, of course it's different scales. But I would say that I think that this thing has actually breached past just like a very niche community. Like it's something that, you know, was picked up in all the mainstream gaming news. And, you know, gaming as an industry is a massive industry. It's now a bigger industry than Hollywood. It's a bigger industry than a lot of other industries out there. And I think that there's nothing about it because in a weird way, it's not locked to a time as much as like a current gen console. I could really see something like this selling on a year by year basis, you know, as people talk about it and the quality of it, you know, assuming that, you know, it follows in line with other analog style products, you know, people, you know, they have their mates who have it and then they go, wow, this is a really cool thing to have. Like maybe I'll get it because the other thing I'll probably call out is, you know, I think that this thing is almost certain to have custom firmware or be modded and, you know, for sure, you'll be able to play something like a Super Nintendo or a Genesis or maybe other things as well on it, on a, on the go in a super high quality format. You know, devices like that do sell, like they still do sell. And, you know, in the context of, you know, you know, the 3DS selling 75 million, do I think that something like this could sell, you know, a fraction of that number? I, I don't know. I could probably see it. I could probably see it. Now, I am you know, going out on a limb and tr- trying to, you know, push a hypothetical. But to me, yeah, it's just interesting to see, you know, how much could it potentially have sold versus, you know, how much it actually did sell, which seems to be of the order of about 15,000 units. My favorite thing about this is that you put together all this awesome, these, these charts and numbers. And my favorite thing is the fact that you use the podcast font for the like access <laughs> title and colored things <laughs> along with our colors <laughs> the on brand i like it <laughs> yeah it's very very um minor work with that I, I should try to spend more time to make it actually much more interactive but we are a predominantly audio podcast so i don't want to go too far down that realm so yeah that that concludes my thoughts around you know could the analog sell a million uh, copies, I think it may be able to get to that level, and it never will. By the way, they'll never release that many. Uh, and I think you've fallen on the fence of you. Do, you don't think it would sell that much? I just don't look. It could certainly sell a lot, but I think that any after you get past the first couple hundred thousand, I think anyone that's super wanted one's probably got one at that point. Um, and I think yeah. the thing as well is that. They're obviously targeting very different type of consumers, but if Nintendo does turn around at some point and release a Game Boy Classic um, or something yeah. along those lines, I think that someone like myself that's not a, like a... I'm not an enthusiast in that regard. Um, I'd probably be like, oh, actually, well, that's that's 120 bucks. It has the 20 games that I want to play the most on it. I'll just pick one of those up kind of thing. So obviously that, we don't know if that's ever going to happen. If it's ever going to happen, it probably wouldn't happen for another couple of years. But that's something that I think that, you know, if this was a product they wanted to sell for a few more years, as soon as you start introducing something like that, then I think you'll start to see some of the interest drop down a little bit. But it it is serving very different audiences. I understand that. This is such a cool thing that you've just said. So let's imagine this. And, you know, let's be real. Nintendo is a company that does things that you'd never predict or never expect. Imagine if they did a collaboration and released the Nintendo Analog Pocket and actually branded the Pocket with Nintendo branding, included, you know, a dozen games, had all the functionality of a Pocket 
and sold it. How many would you think would sell then? Oh, yeah, that would be huge. Um, but that, and like, there's nothing about it that would say they wouldn't do that. Mm, oh, true. I, I know Nintendo is a lot more open to working with independent developers in recent years. Like, say, look at Cadence of Hyrule and stuff like that. But from a hardware standpoint, they've usually generally worked with big mobs like Panasonic and Sony and things like true. that. So that's that's the only thing well, there. But it would be awesome. Don't get me wrong. It'd be great to have. Official well, you've heard it. You've heard it here first. <laughs> when when this happens, we'll point back to this podcast as originating the idea. Um, and I'm really interested to hear what people think about this, like whether they think that, you know, I'm, I'm crazy and I am being a bit like uh, facetious around the numbers. I don't probably think it would sell a million, but I do think it's something that would sell 100,000 units comfortably. Like, I, and I, I'd imagine that'd be a lot higher than that, what they would have expected it, it was going to sell. Um, yeah, and it would be also interesting if people feel like there's other ways to look at the numbers and then also, you know, arrive at, at maybe different conclusions or, you know, something that is, you know, much more comparable and has more public information. So that's wrapping up uh, the analog pocket segment. And unfortunately for me, it's probably the last time we talk about the pocket for a long time or any analog products. So uh, they'll, uh, <laughs> I reckon, I reckon you'll see, I reckon there'll be a reason you have to talk about them in the next couple of months at least. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. And moving on to our final segment, the game of some other year. So the whole idea of this segment, as we flagged last week, is really that, you know, because we're lazy and stingy, we don't like buying new games. Uh, you know, if any <laughs> publishers are happy to uh, give us codes, we're more than happy to play those games. But <laughs> until anything like that ever happens, you know, we'll play the odd new game. But, you know, the thing that I always believe is, and, I, and you know, we've had this debate offline a lot of times about the Oscars and get and you know film of the year, I feel like you almost need to give it a few years to be able to judge it anyway. So judging in the current year, while I understand the the imperative to do that, I think it's much fairer to actually judge a game many years after it's already come out and sort of understand it in its context of when it was released and you know did it actually move the needle in that year and in that era because i think a lot of games that were considered really good back then are sort of a bit like uh, are they that really great in the end and they're sort of you know fallen out of favor almost to a point where people think it's funny that they were regarded as game of the year uh, back in the day so the task was for both of us to think about what year we should pick and the reasons why and then basically hash it out and land on a year and then start playing those games pretty systematically and have a game of some other year for the year X, whatever we decide <laughs> by the end of the segment. Does it make sense? Yeah, I've got, I think we need to, we need to hash out a couple of details here. So, okay. <laughs> no, no, something that, you know, we haven't actually discussed this offline with everything that's been talked about on the podcast. And are we, so are we also going to like do a top 10 and with one, obviously one at the top? Cause I think that would be more interesting than just choosing one game. Yeah. Like I, I think always with these things to me, um, I feel like we probably have to have our own individual top tens and then we need to make an official big wig top 10. Okay. And then we'll have to hash it out and we'll have to have some kind of fun way to do it. Like maybe some trading system and some, you know, wild cards or whatever. It's got to be fun. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the second question was, how are we, if we're playing a game from, let's say, a year 
you know, and that game's being re-released on another console. Are we able to play and judge it on that version? Knowing that... No, we, that we, ver- we did mention that, though. I don't... We mentioned that last week. I don't remember us, like, getting into HD remaster territory and things like that. <laughs> yeah, I, look, okay. So, I think, ultimately, it does need to be a judgment call between both of us of what is the games that we can consider, a, a f- you know, fair game. I think that if it's just a simple up or they've not really done much to it, it doesn't count. I think something like... Final Fantasy VII Remake obviously would count. And then I think there's a grey area where they've actually changed elements of the game and maybe you can consider it, but I really think we should just stick to when, you know, like it's actually new, like a new game, like not like a remake or a remaster in general. Well, yeah, and I just want to make sure because some of these games I might only have access to playing in that, those versions. So I just kind of want to make sure that we had that. But if it's a matter of us just working through and saying, well, actually, let's say, uh, you know, like Yakuza is a famous series for remaking. Um, like they, they remade the older games in the newer engines. And so while the games are very similar, they've got a lot of the new systems and enhancements from the, the later games so that's an example where i just it's, oh, it's yeah. awkward but then you can only really play those games on modern consoles and modern platforms in that form unless you go and dig out a playstation 2 for instance so it's yeah it's tricky and i think also our access to actually what games we can play will impact what year we choose because there's especially when you start to get around the mid 2000s a lot of those games aren't there are ways to emulate them, for instance, but generally speaking, it's a lot tougher than, let's say, games before the year 2000 um, and modern consoles that generally have backwards compatibility and things like that on them. And generally every yeah. game's on Steam, but there's definitely time period of time there where it might be difficult to actually try to track these games down and play them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think, you know, let's be just sensible about it. I think... It's probably fine to play a, you know, up version or a remastered version. I think, like, obviously, you know, going back to the Final Fantasy VII example, if we decide on the year that Final Fantasy VII came out, then playing Final Fantasy VII Remake doesn't count for Final Fantasy VII, but I think playing the, you know, the ported version of Final Fantasy VII, where they have modified it, and they've made certain bits a lot easier or a lot more kind of bearable, where you could speed up the game, I think that that counts as a version to play it on i think that's fine what about something like final fantasy 3 where on they made the 3d remake for mm. nintendo ds and other platforms where the actual yeah, game and structure is the same but it is very it is much easier from a design standpoint like i, I think this is important because we no I, I think you just call it out i think like that because you can just play final fantasy 3 on the emulated fair version enough, quite enough. easily like, I think that that one's probably not the best example, but just that idea, I do get it, you know, and I I did, this did color the games that I was thinking of talking about or the years that I was thinking of talking about, because some of the, even PC games from specific eras are actually kind of like a bit of a pain to, hmm. to get, like you need, need to literally like buy them from scratch on, on GOG or something, because that, you know, comes with an emulator inbuilt into it. Um, you know, so I've kind of thought about that as well but i think we just need to call it out when we talk about the game and you know sort of how we've decided but i think the other one that's really critical is just we did mention it last week but you know the years that their games actually come out like i think it should be the the year that most people regard the year that it came out not like 
the year after when it came out on Xbox. Hmm. I agree. But that's that's fuzzy as well. That's fuzzy. Like, that's not always one for one. Because sometimes it's like it came out right at the end of the year and then kind of really was known as the year after because, you know, it just released in Japan in December and really came to the West in January the following year. So I think we just got to apply common sense on those things. What's crazy to me, so as part of getting ready for this, I went through and created a big list of for each generation going back to, I think, 84. Um, and, and by the way, do you want me to put this online? I can actually put this online. Uh, let me, well... The only thing is, there might have to think about it. Have a yeah, think about like it. when you're using Google as a source, there might be some inaccuracies about the release years. So I thought, oh, well, no, no. But again, I think this is for us to consider. We consider that this is when these games came out. Well, because it's all blurry, right? It, it's all blurry. But I'm just like, anyway, to kind of explain what I was going to about. Yeah. It's just amazing to me that something like Mario Three, like that was a year and a half in Japan before it ever got ported here, which is insane to me. Yeah, and the fact that it came yeah. out. Um, Mario 3 came out the same year that Mario 2 came out in the US. In Japan, Mario 3 came out. Um, is is crazy. To me. Yeah, that's right. And it was just... It's the same as Australia. Yeah. Mario 2 and Mario 3 came out in the same year. So, anyway, let's let's look at some years. Uh, we're not going to have probably enough time to go through every single year, but... Ah, um, uh, no. No, no. <laughs> but I, I've definitely created a short list of about... Seven potential years with my, I guess my favorite pop, my favorite picks. What are you laughing about? That's what I we're don't doing. think we have time to go through seven. No. What are you laughing? The whole point of this is us choosing years. Why are you laughing about me shortly? I was stuff? gonna say, I was gonna say maybe like top five or top three or something. We, we, we can well, go blow by blow. What I said, I said I shortlisted yeah, seven on. and I've got three top uh, out of oh, those. Okay. Right. Okay, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> the whole no, point of I just, us like, is to th- choose a year here. What am, what am I doing? Just coming into this blind with nothing? <laughs> no, I just know. Like, the one thing that's good is, like, you're so deep on these things that I'm like, I actually thought there's a real possibility you'd want to talk about all seven of the years and <laughs> it'd be, like, a two-hour conversation about it. No, like, it, it was right, up right. to me. This We would have spent an hour on this, but we don't, you know, we're, we're three hours in the podcast. So, um Let's, yeah, so, uh, look, how about you maybe point out some years that you think are potential ones? Yeah, and I'm just thinking how to do this. I'll actually probably go with the top three, so starting from third, if that makes any sense with what I'm saying. Yeah, go ahead. So, my third pick will be 2007. So, 2007, Bioshock... Halo 3, Portal. I think, like, 2007 will definitely go down. I'm just cross-referencing to see if it's also in your list. Um, You know, I think that's going to go down as one of the greatest years. Like, you had, like... You know, this is the year that you also had insane collections like the Orange Box uh, come out. You know, I didn't even mention Mario Galaxy. It's literally a year just stacked with games. I think it was also the year that Assassin's Creed started like from a franchise perspective yeah um you know i i think one of the the great years of that era and that generation um so yeah for me i had that as third on my list of the years that you'd want to actually go through can you believe that's not even in my seven that i chose really yeah, it's a good year interesting they're all, there's so many good years though um it is yeah 2007 interesting yeah i also i know the <laughs> the later we get into, especially like 360 or onwards, I've played so many more of these games than you have. 
that it's not funny. So <laughs> yeah, correct. It's like yeah, correct. I know there's a whole bunch of years here, except for when you start talking about PlayStation exclusives. That unless I wanted, unless I kind of wanted to revisit them, I already kind of have such a, like my I've, I I know them inside and out basically. And with 2007. Yeah, it is a big year. I think COD Four is is one of the biggest out of that because that essentially changed the mm. whole genre. Um, yeah, look, it's, I I think that it's definitely. I don't think what we should go with, but it's a strong year, no doubt. So, what was your third? My third was actually nineteen ninety four. Oh, you've gone way back in the in the archives. Okay, so nineteen ninety four was to me just just had so many good um, 2D games coming out and a few 3D ones as well. So Donkey Kong Country, which we've, you know, been been slowly playing as, as you know, so we can give our impressions and another pod, a future podcast. But Well, and I think we probably could do that next week if you're ready to because I'm about halfway through yeah. it. Um, but yeah, Final cool. Fantasy VI, Earthworm Jim, Doom 2, Super Metroid, it's, that's which is my favorite game yeah, of all time. Like Sonic Three, like, and then you start getting into ones that I love, like you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Tournament Fighters, and things like that. Um, the reason mm. I went for that over any other SNES year is simply because of those big titles: Super Metroid, Donkey Kong Country, Final Fantasy VI, and Earthworm Jim, and things like that. Um, and even things like Super Street Fighter Two Turbo, you know, which was um, I'd say more of an arcade title um, when you're talking yeah. about that. And X Men: Children of Adam, Castlevania: Bloodlines, System Shock, Sonic Three, heaps of stuff. So, um, out of all those SNES eras, I thought that was the one that stood out to me the most. But it's third, so I haven't put it as my top. Interesting. And by the way, <clears throat> if I say a year that is on your top three list, then you need to jump in as like this is my that's my number one. If that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> okay. And now you're going to be pissed about this one. <laughs> so the the second pick. And I, I've went, I've gone the opposite way and gone ultra modern. <laughs> I've actually picked 2017. So 2017 is definitely the best era from a Switch perspective. You've had you know Zelda Breath of the Wild, which I would regard as one of the best games of all time. Mario Odyssey nipping at its heels. Persona Five, Hollow Knight. It's just stacked with so many games. And I guess from my perspective, you know, they had the game of the year. You know, everyone had their views at the time, but I would actually love to just play through all of these games and try to have a more balanced opinion on things like Breath of the Wild, which I know that we could probably talk about for three hours about (laughs) that game, not just necessarily from a positive perspective, but also a negative perspective, especially from you. Um, But yeah, I just think, you know, if you wanted to pick something more modern, that to me is like the year to go with. I think there's, you know, a variety of games in that year. It's pretty heavy on Nintendo, but there's still a lot of great games from Sony and then also Xbox as well. Um, And yeah, so I had that actually as my number two pick that we should pick. Yeah, so that is in my list um, of my seven. It's not in my top three. Um, It is, though, I 100% agree. That year, everyone knew that was a huge year. You had such huge hitters from the Switch standpoint as well as PlayStation um, but yeah. the, the reason why is because I already know what number one would be for me. Like I don't even have to play them all to know that it's it's got to be near Automata. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no. And you know, by the way, I actually like Nier. So, like that's you know, I know you probably even try to troll me. <laughs> I actually really like that game. And you know what? To be honest, I feel like if we did that year, 
my views on all the games might have shifted and I might actually put that game as the game of the year. Like that, that is not even mm. a shock if that would happen. But it's like, it's, there's heaps of good games that year, but I think with, with what we're trying to do, I also think it'll be very difficult to do that year, just given um, some of the big... You'd need to get a PlayStation 4, for sure. Well, yeah, it's not just that, but also when you talk about that year, like we've already talked about how we don't like playing scary games and you got Resident Evil 6, sorry, 7 and things like that, but it's even that that that. was the year of Fortnite. That was the year of PUBG. And it's really difficult Mm. with those kind of games. And like, how do you even rate those games that aren't the same games anymore either. Now, I'm not saying that we would have to. We could probably mm. say, well, they're live service games. It's very difficult. And they're also not things we're interested in anyway. I mean, this is what this is our list. We don't have to do include everything. But it's they were huge games that year. And yeah, it's it's that's a tough year. I think there's almost too many games that year to do. Um, it sounds weird. <laughs> weird. I think that's what almost, you want, isn't it? I think that that's almost just too many games. It's weird. But, <laughs> what yeah. the hell? That's what you want, though. Anyway, no, yeah. but, no it's but fair it's enough. Be realistic. You've got your list. I've got my list. It's got to be realistic if we want to actually play a bunch of these. So. All right. So that was my number two. What's your number two? So my number two is nineteen ninety eight. <laughs> We've gone like so different directions. I will say this was in my number four. This was in my number four pick. Yeah, so 98 was a huge year. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Half-Life, Ocarina of Time, Metal Gear Solid, Resident Evil 2. It's insane. Like, oh, like this is obviously the same problem say- as 2017, honestly, <laughs> but we've played a lot of these already at least. So, um, but... And, and can, I, can I just say something quickly? Sorry to interrupt, but, like, I, w- I would say this is my number one pick if I'm being asked what's the greatest year in gaming. But that's not necessarily what I was trying to do. Yeah. I was trying to pick a year for us to have a you know discussion on games that maybe I haven't played, and mm. it's like kind of an interesting juxtaposition. But I do think that this is the best year of gaming ever. It's it's crazy, just like Banjo Kazooie, Baldur's Gate, Tekken Three. You know, Tekken Three is in probably in one of my like- top twenty games of all time. <laughs> um, Blast Corps. Xenogears, Marvel vs. Capcom. It's crazy. Pokemon. Just a little game called oh, Pokemon. Yeah, just Pokemon. I didn't even put red or blue there because it's on the list. literally the first one. Um, and like Grim um, Fandango, Fallout 2. It's crazy. Even Body Harvest, which is not a great game, but I love it. You know, so Mystical Ninja 64. Kind of a terrible game, but I love it. You know, so. Yeah, you're struggling now. Yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a great year. So that's uh, that's my second. Yeah, oh, that, that, that's 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 a really good pick. That's going to be interesting. All right, do you want to go into number ones? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So my number one is a year that I actually think down the track, like so. You know how we are talking about nineteen ninety eight being the game of the year. It's just so obvious. It's the it's the best year. Well, sorry, I'm saying that. I, I don't think you said that, but I'm saying I think 1998 is the best year of gaming. I, I feel like in five to ten years' time, when people who are younger than us but are having this conversation, they will say 2011 is the best year of gaming ever. So 2011, Dark Souls, Skyrim, Minecraft, like from a top three kind of games, and it impacts on gaming and just like how they've landed in gaming. I actually think you'd probably struggle to come up with a better top three from a, you know, overall impact. I think 98 is probably the only one that would ever challenge that with Half-Life Ocarina of Time and Metal Gear Solid for me. 
Um, so yeah, no, I've put uh, 2011 as number one, yeah. and I'm also doing this a bit selfishly because I know that you've gone deep on all these games, and I haven't. So I think it's kind of a funny juxtaposition of games that I I actually own, but I haven't played in a lot of cases. Um, and also selfishly as well, I'd love to play Skyward Sword because that game is very divisive, but I'm pretty open-minded to those style of games, so I'm kind of interested to actually have a crack at it. Yeah, 2011's crazy because you just hit some of the big hitters, but for me, like, I look at 2011, I'm like, Witcher 2. I love Witcher 2. Deus Ex, Human mm. Revolution. Um, things like, even Sonic Generations is a fantastic game. You know, games that I haven't played, like The Last Story in Tales of Zillia. Um, just it's there's so many good games within that one year. L.A. Noir, Nino Cooney, you know. Yeah. It's even Marvel vs. Capcom Three. Although Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom Three is probably you know be the one that you're going to choose to play out of those games. A Bastion, you know, Dead Island's there, unfortunately, but you know <laughs> I'm not a fan of that game. But um, <laughs> yeah, even Modern Warfare Three, you know, you're not going to say that. Yeah, true. Like Modern Warfare Two and the first one are probably going to be you know the more like I guess like you know, the games that kind of stand the test of time in terms of people's minds, but that's a huge game as well. But of course, like, I can't go past Dark Souls and Skyrim. Like, both those games, I've I've beaten both of those games, like, multiple, multiple times. And Arkham City, I'm actually, Arkham City, I've, I've never played it. I've owned it for a long time. Um, big fan of Arkham Asylum, and I just, can you believe it? Me not being able to finish the combat challenge achievements kind of, like got me stuck in that series and I never progressed. <laughs> so I need to just give, now that I don't care about those achievements anymore, um, I just need to play Arkham City, I think. I might. Yeah, maybe I'll play Arkham it on, City's good. Maybe, I'll play Maybe that. I'll play it on PC so I can bump, up, bump it up. But Yeah, no, I liked Arkham City. I thought it was really good. And, you know, I think the big thing about this year is just the, the kind of weight on the industry that Dark Souls has had. Just, you know, people talking about it as being as sort of almost a genre. And then kind of almost the same with Skyrim in that kind of, that field and just, you know, how much of an impact that game's had. And then probably the biggest game of all time now, like for whatever you want to call it, um, Minecraft. Like just the fact that that game, like what is it up to? Like 200 and something million copies sold or some crazy number or even more than that. It's just, the prob- like that game is even bigger than we even realized. The really. problem with Minecraft is unless, you know, you've, you can find an archive, like it's it's impossible to play that game how it was in that era. So sure, sure. it's similar to what the thing I said about Fortnite is how do you judge Minecraft? It is so much added to it since it first came out. Um, I've played a lot of it when it first got ported to Xbox one, but even that was obviously improved upon what the original release was. So it's tough. to Yeah. I think, for, I think, I think for that one, because you can get the old Java versions of it. I think you actually can play, the old versions of it, but I definitely know in the case of, um, you know, live service games like Fortnite, you definitely can't go back and play those ones because that's so reliant on the server. But yeah, like, yeah, so number one pick for me would be uh, 2011. Just think that uh, it's got the beefiest amount of games and, you know, some serious heavy hitters and, you know, the conversations around how to rank some of those games like Dark Souls, Skyrim, Portal 2. I don't even think we mentioned Portal 2. You know, it's just pretty crazy. Okay, so I guess I've got to give my first pick then, don't I? Yeah, drum roll. Yeah. <laughs> my top pick is 1984. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? I just I just wanna I just wanna make you play Pac-Land. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think I've played most of these games. So I, I can honestly, 984 is not bad. I mean, Excitebike. Excitebike's awesome, although I don't think you'd ever need to play it more to judge it. Now, nah, my top pick is not 1984, by the way. My top pick... I know, I'm nervous about what it my is. My top pick is 2011. Oh, is it? Yeah. No way! Yeah. That's crazy! Are you serious? Because yeah. yeah. we, we did not talk about no, this beforehand. No. How funny. So, the, the funny. reason being, obviously, we, talked, we just talked about the games, but also, I think yeah. it's much easier to play a lot of these games than it is... Like, not only has it got a great amount of good games, um, but I think it's easy to play a lot of these games in, in some form. So it kind of also meets the purpose, the functional purpose of, are we actually able to go back and play many of these games? I also know yeah. that, you know, we, we both own a lot of these games. I've played yeah. the vast majority of these, but there's a bunch I haven't. You know, I haven't played Nino Kuni. Um, I haven't played, I just mentioned I haven't played Arkham City, um, but also there's a whole bunch of, um, if, you know, I haven't played a lot of 3DS games. So, and I've been, I've always wanted to play 3D Land, Mario Kart 7, you know, I've played a lot of the tracks, of course, and the later ones have ported. But it's it's a chance for me to kind of fill in the gaps that year as well. So, I, yeah, I think 2011 is what we should go with. Nice. Awesome. Well, you know, it's kind of like settled itself. It's not much of a debate <laughs> as I thought there was going to be. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's actually funny. Yeah. And it's going to be actually. Man, I feel like it's going to be hotly contested because, you know, giving it the official Big Week in Gaming game of the some other year, 2011, what? it's going to be... Because uh, I know some of these games are some of your favourite games of all time. One, so. one thing I will say is I, I I don't envy the position of you having to try to judge some of these games, depending on how long we actually say we're going to take to do this. Um, because Well, we're, we're going to do it to the end of the year. So I, I, can I just talk about this? So I think the idea will be... You know, this podcast, I want to make sure that there's an episode every single week. So, you know, Sunday Sunday night, Australian time, and then Sunday morning, US time, and, you know, midday in Europe and Sunday. So I think what we should do is play all these, and then over the Christmas, we'll probably have a break, unless there's really big news, but let's, like, record some sessions around talking about the top 10 lists and sort of, you know, uh, scheduling in some podcasts where we actually cover what we think is the best game of 2011, if that seems right to you. One one thing I will say, though, is um, it. I think it's not going to be the best way to experience some of these games. For instance, um, Dark Souls to take as an example. Um, with that kind of game, you know, you don't want to bounce off that game early, just nature of it. Um, the, it's kind of, I think, important to know, you know, what the full picture is. But, of course... It's going to be hard to play every game to completion um, as well. Like when you talk about Skyrim, um, you know, I've, I've completed that game multiple times, but then when you suddenly, you know, talk about, okay, well, trying to do that, you know, justice is tough, but it's we, mm. it's just a matter of, you know, like doesn't mean we have to complete a game, but I, I will just call out, yeah, just make sure, I guess, like make sure you give Dark Souls a good go because I've... Yeah, well, like, you know, and we haven't spoken about this at all, but I'm thinking out loud, and you've already created a list of, what is it, about 20-ish games? I'm kind of thinking that we probably should, you know, agree on what are the games that are almost in the scope of what could be considered the best game of the year of 2011, and then maybe have a list of, these are just games that we both have to play and make sure, like, we've played them to a level that you could review them. And there may be some extra ones 
we can divvy up or something like that so we can still speak to them all. So, for instance, I don't think it'd be worthwhile me playing Assassin's Creed Revelations. I also don't, I also don't think it's worth you playing that game. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Whereas I think Skyrim, Dark Souls, Portal 2, Arkham City, probably Uncharted, Zelda, L.A. Noir, uh, Minecraft, uh, Deus Ex, like, you know, off the top of my head, those games are just like, you have to play hmm. them. Because any of them, I believe, could be a game of the year. And then, yeah, we'll we'll chat about, like... And, and let's put it on the website. So, bigweedpod.com. Like, we'll put it somewhere. Um, you know, where, like, what games are we playing and, like, what's what's the kind of status of it or whatever. Cool. Sounds great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that really wraps us up from a much longer podcast than probably either of us expected. <laughs> um Again, you know, join us uh, every week on Sundays. So it's either uh, Sunday evenings if you're in Australia or Sunday mornings if you're in the US and Sunday in the afternoon in Europe. Uh, you can always reach out to us at bigwigpod at gmail.com. And we're also available on uh, YouTube and Twitter. So hit us up there. We'll definitely reply to you. And if you do want to see the podcast grow, please give us a thumbs up or a five-star review on the podcast service that you use as this helps people find us. Uh, For now, bye-bye. See ya.